lots of blood and gore Five, six, Freddy's goofy tricks Seven, eight, another deadly thing Nine, ten, never podcast again all right. Hello, everybody. Hello. And welcome to the Macabre Podcast Universe. It's the podcast that exists. Why, Jordan? To prove people wrong when they say sequels are never better than the originals. And oh boy, are we going to be discussing that topic because we are talking about, I'll just say it, one of the most interesting movies I've ever seen. Yes. Uh, and it is a seventh movie uh-huh. of a franchise. Hardly ever are seventh movies all that good. Usually by movie seven, we are so bored out of our minds. And here we are talking about, I'll just spoil it right now, my favorite Nightmare on Elm Street movie, mm. Wes Craven's new Nightmare. Mm-hmm. And with us, we have the guys from You're Missing Out, Mike and Tom, who who put their flag in the ground on our Scream 4 episode when Tom said, if you guys cover Nightmare, we're, cu- we're coming back and we're doing new Nightmare. So... Welcome to the show, guys. You did. I was actually. about to say, there's no way Tom remembers doing that. Uh, I don't remember what I ate for dinner yesterday. It's no. funny. Um, thank you guys so much for having us back. Um, I'm shocked you had us back after last time. <laughs> Delighted. Uh, yeah. That was one of our favorite episodes. It was so fun. It's uh, yeah, we were we were glad to do it. Uh, I'm I'm we're both glad to be back. I have to tell you, it's a little surreal because. Uh, since we were on the last time, now your show is in my like gym podcast rotation. Oh, really? Nice. So, so hearing don't, y'all's voices don't, now is don't, don't lie to them. We we can see <laughs> video. We know you don't go to the gym. <laughs> Here's the problem: I do, and it's still this. Think how much worse it would be otherwise. <laughs> As um, I'm smoking a cigarette and shoving yeah. cookies in my mouth. <laughs> it's you are. You, it truly, I truly have become your Dorian Gray portrait. You have. It's like amazing. All, your, all of your bad behavior just pays off on this. Amazing. Yeah. Well, I'm, I'm flattered, and I'm just going to take it at face value, Same. no matter yeah. where the truth lies. <laughs> but it, no, I'm, I'm so glad you, to be here. It's going to be great. You're not a girl he's trying to date, so he's not lying to you. <laughs> oh, good Lord. I, oh, wow, wait a minute. Hang on. I haven't even been on the dating scene in years. You're just pulling old insults out of the archives now. We're there. This is Hey, this, listen, we're talking about a movie from the 90s with so about is, references. I'm I'm referencing our it, old dynamic. This is like in the 2000s when like Woody Allen was pulling scripts out he wrote in 62 and he'd still produce them and they'd be like, "Why is he referencing Zero Mostel? It's 2005." <laughs> like everybody should be referencing Zero Mostel. That's true. That's fair. <laughs> Well, <laughs> let's let's dive right in. For for Jordan and I, we this uh, the other night was the first time we saw this movie. Yes. Okay. And I must say, as I was watching the movie, I kept saying things like, "No way, no way, this is unbelievable." And kept looking at each other with our mouths agape. And I felt like the most similar experience I had was was when I was a sophomore in high school, and I went and saw Inception, and I was just like, I can't believe everything that's happening. That's how I felt last night. I was just like, every decision that this movie made, like 10 out of 10 for me. So I, if we're looking I for complaints, loved, I don't have I would have loved to see this movie in 94, man. Oh, like, my gosh. I mean, because, you know, it's marketed. and it, it's, it's an Elm Street movie, basically, but it's also not. Mm-hmm. So you got to imagine, like, the people... That was shitting bricks about, 
you know, Halloween ends, if they saw like yeah. New Nightmare, yeah. and yeah. they're like, "What the what the fuck is this? What is uh-huh. this? Is he's not he's not even Freddy? Like, why does he look like like ew? You know, all the stupid complaints that you know people make, and then ten years later they can claim they loved it the whole time, but um." Yeah, it's a weird fucking movie. And honestly, uh, you know, you mentioned Inception. This is I don't I don't know if there's been a movie since this really that kind of has this kind of balls to be this just self-referential and this just bold with bringing reality into the movie and melting your mind like there's moments Mm -hmm. in this a moment Mike mentioned in text. We'll get to it. But there's a moment towards the end of the movie where. It's just so fucking cool, and you're just like, "Oh, Wes, you." Yeah, we, we for, can't yeah. we can't lead with that because that is both you no. and I's favorite moment in the movie. So we're gonna we're we, we it's have gonna to be well, yeah. work up to it. But, then, yeah. but there's just so just many moments. Rolling. There's just so many moments where it folds in on itself, purposely and sometimes not purposely. Like, um, I watched the new nightmare segment of uh, Never Sleep Again earlier today yeah me Ooh, too. you did do homework for once <laughs> i did look at you i did <laughs> i did um but like uh all this stuff with the earthquakes you know right wes wrote the script and then like two days into filming giant 94 or 93 la earthquakes hit and the he even said like the crew on the came up was looking at me like what what did you do did, did yeah. what, what deal with the devil did you make and there's like second unit footage of them just capturing destroyed LA areas that was just not planned because he's like, well, fuck, like <laughs> I wrote earthquakes into the script. Let's let's get it. So, you know, just weird little Whoa. shit like that where Wes was just <laughs> again, you know, it, it seemed like every decade he would just like put his finger in, on the pulse and just. Even if it wasn't with this movie, this was like his warm up for Scream. Yeah. He would he he was like, oh, I'm I'm about to fucking change horror again, guys. <laughs> Buckle up. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, and and you, you have like uh, Heather Langenkamp was on this show called uh, what was it called? I I watched that the the Never Sleep Again as well. Um, was it eight? Is just enough? the ten I never of us. Just the ten of us. Just the ten of us. Just yeah. the ten of us. Yeah. And it was you know it's just like a slice of life like typical comedy. Mm-hmm. And then the show ends, and she starts getting calls from a stalker. And so, for real? So yeah. yeah. So Wes Whoa. like incorporates that in the script. So when these earthquakes happen, and you're working on the set, you have to think to yourself like, I don't know. We are talking about how Freddy's an evil entity. Is there something going on? <laughs> I think Whoa. I'd be a little scared if I was on set. Yeah. I mean, it's just one of those things where if you never saw Wes before or heard him talk, you'd you'd have to think he was some like long-haired hippie who lives in a tree yeah. who's got like some sort of like deal with the devil going on he's this weird little imp you know um, <laughs> you know basically i'm describing alan moore but yeah. um <laughs> but then you then you see the guy and he would not be out of place teaching like economics totally. at like yeah hofstra or something he's just like the nicest most He's the complete opposite of John Carpenter. Let's be real. He's the he's yeah, just yeah. very quiet and polite and he doesn't shit talk and he seems very erudite. And you just can't imagine this guy coming up with some of the shit that he comes up with. Even though this is like not even close to the most brutal or mm-hmm. whatever he's ever made, but just I don't know, like did that dude 
had a he was just you know rest in peace dude he, there was nobody like him honestly mm-hmm. well yeah. it's it's interesting tom you mentioned carpenter i did want to kind of talk about um because you guys talking about what it would have been like to see this in 94 a thing that makes new nightmare i think super fascinating is to think about the fact that it does come out in 94 and it does kind of emerge into this time where it feels like we're getting very self-reflective on movies the artifice of movies the art of storytelling i mean look at 94 alone you've got obviously you've got ed wood comes out that year you've got in the mouth of madness john carpenter's film Mm -hmm. comes out that year um you've got uh, natural born killers you've got pulp fiction comes out chunking express you've got a whole bunch of movies that are all kind of grappling with in one way or another storytelling and cinema and the artifice of it and i think that that's so yeah. interesting because when you look at what uh what west craven's doing in this movie you know the 80s were such a big era i mean you guys have been watching all of the nightmare films leading up to this mm-hmm. and that sort of 80s excess and of course as we talk about you know carpenter i mean carpenter craven goes on to do scream yeah which is very meta textual and referencing the movies, but sort of from like an outsider perspective, from sort of a like talking about the audience watching it. Talking about, this comes out of along with Pulp Fiction, along with all these films, there really seems to be a reckoning in a way about movies and about the stories we tell and the effects that they have. There's there's almost like a it feels like in all of those movies. I mean, Pulp Fiction is more just, you know, a, an examination of pulp storytelling, but but natural born killers and this mm-hmm. all seem to be reflecting on how, how did we get to where we are now? And did this kind of did, did what we made in the eighties kind of play a part in that? Sure. And mm-hmm. I think it's, yeah, it's interesting to look at that, this film from that perspective of like what was kind of in the air at that time too. Especially mm-hmm. because I, I, you know, I texted Mike the other day, we both watched new nightmare at the same, at the same time, basically on, you know, on, on not on purpose. It was a complete accident. But you know, I pointed out like this came comes out the same year as In the Mouth of Madness, and John and Wes are pretty much like the yin and the yang of horror Absolutely, from the seventies yeah. on. Like there were no guy. You know, Romero did great stuff. Hope Toby Hooper did great stuff. You know, there was guys that were doing great stuff at the time, but nobody really represents the the coin, the the heads and the tails like Wes and John, and that both of them in ninety four both end up making these super metatextual movies where the movies themselves start folding in on themselves and you start getting these moments where you don't know what reality is anymore. You know, Wes takes it, like Mike says, from an almost insider perspective. It's very personal to Wes. He's taking things from real life, his actors, himself, like what he feels about the movies he's made, where John is taking a more outsider perspective and kind of, again, with their yin and yang thing, he's got a more negative outlook on what uh, storytelling has kind of been doing <laughs> right, to right. the world, mm-hmm. where ultimately we'll get into this. Wes has a kind of very uplifting view about all of these things. He, he He's not sidestepping that a reality that there are some negative outcomes to these things, but at the end, there is a warmth and a sort of acknowledgement of what we're doing is actually good and we'll get more into that. But I think it's interesting that these two guys both just kind of 
converged in 94 and the last hurrah for Carpenter, if we're going to be honest. And like I said before, the warm up for Wes's third time changing horror, hitting a <laughs> yeah. new, honestly, the peak of his career, because he never had a he, his run after last house and Hills of Eyes was not the greatest until he makes Nightmare on Elm Street. And even then, not his greatest run, even though People Under the Stairs and Serpent in the Rainbow are really good. After Scream, he's like the king of the fucking world, even though yeah. it's really just the Scream movies. He gets Meryl Streep an Oscar nomination for Music of the Heart. And Red Eye's fucking pretty cool, too. But like, he, he, at, there was never a time where he was this hot a commodity. Mm-hmm. Yeah, And it's just interesting how like these two guys hit this X and then went in different directions. But uh yeah, I don't know. Well and it's it's interesting you mention the reckoning with with cinema in the eighties and whatnot. But I but beyond that, it's like this movie and Scream, Wes is kind of reckoning with his critics at the same time who are saying, mm-hmm. Hey, what you're doing affects children or it affects teenagers and people are gonna kill people because they're watching Nightmare on Elm Street or your scary movies and whatnot. And he's like, these movies are kind of talking about like the kids are gonna be fine. <laughs> and then, you know, Scream is well, it's been a little bit I mean, last year was when I watched that last. But you know, it's like dealing with all of those themes and kind of maybe making light of it and stuff. And and I know in the the documentary, Craven said how ironic it was that like the stalker started calling Heather Langenkamp not after Nightmare, but after this show where there's like a bunch of sisters living in a house together. Hmm. And that's it. Well, I think there is a key difference, though, between Scream and New Nightmare um, in terms of I think that you're right. They're both reckoning with the effects that these films have. But I do think that by the time we get to Scream, Scream is made with an ironic detachment. And I don't yeah. mean that Wes Craven is detached, but the characters have an ironic attachment. The characters yeah. are inherently desensitized to yeah. violence. And I think of it in terms of, it's kind of like how, if you look at the difference between kind of what we considered postmodernism in the early to mid 90s and what we considered postmodernism late 90s, early 2000s, right? Like I think there's a, people kind of lump, I, I don't mean to go abstract here, but people tend to lump somebody like a David Foster Wallace in with a David Eggers. Um, and I think that when you go from something like infinite jest to heartbreaking work, a staggering genius, you lose like a sincere introspective to a much more ironic veil. And I think that that happens midway through the nineties. I think early nineties, like when we're getting this in 94, we're still actively and sincerely trying to grapple with things. You know, I mentioned natural born killers, which is, Oliver Stone, like sincerely trying to go, hey, let's let's kind of grapple with whether or not things are too violent or things are too this or things are too that. And by the mid 90s and we really enter that kind of end of history headspace by the mid to late 90s. Nobody's doing that sincerely anymore. There's just this veil of of either irony or just fatigue yeah. Where by the time you get to to bring Stone into it, by the time you get to any given Sunday, Oliver Stone's whole vibe just seems to be, look, we're fucked. Everything's <laughs> everything's bad. We're all bad. Everything's bad. And with the difference between Scream and New Nightmare, I think, is that Scream is, I, I mean, it's not 
I think the characters are ironic. I think Scream's sincere, but but Scream is at least settled into its kind of point of view on the effects of horror and this and that. Whereas yeah. New Nightmare feels like, while it is more hopeful by the end, it does feel like Wes actively grappling with the effects of horror and still being in a headspace of like, the guy who makes New Nightmare, if he found out two or three years later, like, yes, these movies are actually causing societal harm, would fully go, I'm sorry, a whoops, I I'm, I really feel bad about that. By yeah. the time we get to Scream, there's a certainty to it that I think is interesting. To, and to I think the I think it's interesting, too, as um, Micah said, that it feels like Wes is uh, kind of dealing with his critics through these two movies. And I think it's interesting that through these two movies, you pretty much get what Wes feels about the whole argument, which is the kids are only all right if the parents are all right. Because in New Nightmare, Heather Langenkamp is so worried about her child and is so very much focused on her child. And you get that this kid's going to be okay. Even at the worst moments of, you know, the, the, the entity is fucking with this kid you you know that heather is not gonna let this kid get harmed you know when this is over the kid's gonna lead a decent life because heather is a good parent and she's not gonna let her kid be a fuck up whereas whereas in scream it's almost like living in a world of like if charlie brown those kids started fucking and murdering each other the parents like don't exist they're basically (laughs) a thing that exists in this in the margins really because Sydney's dad, it, you get the sense that uh, either before Maureen dies or after or both, he's just always traveling and working. Yeah, Maureen was, you know, as Scream 3 revealed to us, a very damaged woman, but she was kind of too busy living in her damage, fucking around and doing all this shit. Billy's dad doesn't. He, who, who is this guy? He, he doesn't exist. Billy's mom is a fucking nut job. She ran off. She comes back to murder people. You know, all of these kids are living on their own, have this ironic detachment because there's nobody around to show them what's right or wrong. It's not the movies. Billy says movies don't didn't make us fucking killers. Our parents made us fucking killers. The society that lets our parents think it's okay to just worry more about themselves than about the kids. That's what makes us killers. And I think Wes from the beginning, his first movie is about, you know, the generation gap. Last House on the Left is about, you know, the yuppie parents and the hippie kids and how all, you know, all the shit in that movie. He 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 he's an academic guy. And I think he's ha- definitely had his time of feeling a little wary about the horror genre. He he definitely took a dip away from the hardcore stuff he was doing up to Nightmare on Elm Street one. But I think he was always a guy that once he sort of like started digging in on this movie and then with Williamson's script for Scream really kind of found the perfect vehicles to really get across what he thinks, which is horror movies don't make kids killers. It's the parents. I mean, yeah, especially because the the messaging of New Nightmare is, like I said, hopeful that Mm -hmm. what these movies are actually doing is helping the kids with the darkness in the world kind of making yeah. it a little more palatable but uh i guess we'll get more into that the deeper we get into this movie <laughs> i mean i think i i want to throw this to to everybody which is and i'm sorry i don't want to lead the discussion i apologize but since no, we're talking good. about like, what good. this comes out of he's used to it 
Uh, I apologize for what this comes, but I was thinking about what this comes out of too. And and un- unfortunately, I think it's just because we were on for Scream, uh, so it's easy for us to kind of do the one to one here. Yeah, yeah. But thinking about where this movie comes from, uh, and then what is coming out of when we're talking about the difference between the irony and sincerity, do you guys think that part of it might have to do with the idea that? Remember, he's writing this in what, 93? Well, they're in production in 93. So he's writing this around like 92, 93, right? I think it's when we look back on the 90s, I think for a lot of us, it's very easy to paint that all with one brush, which is, I, I don't know, grunge, general public malaise, like, you know, we like, sure. I don't know, mall culture, saved by the bell. But it is interesting to think about the fact that, like, what was on the popular consciousness from like 89 to 93 is everything from uh you know the the Gulf War to the Rodney King video to the Waco shootout there was a lot i think in the atmosphere at that time that sort of felt like it it felt like after the yay everything's great in the eighties like from Iran Contra onward there's suddenly this reckoning of like did we sweep everything under the rug and is it now coming back to haunt us yeah and I think that by the mid nineties because that's now you know like and it's interesting ninety four I think maybe has that shift because by the time Forrest Gump wins the Oscar America is now just like hey Clinton's president baby boomers history is great and like that that malaise kicks in but I, I I was wondering like when we're talking about this do you think that beyond just re- that beyond just Wes reckoning with the horror movies he made is there something to this movie and its emphasis on like ancient evil and evil always changing its forms that maybe with this there's something to the idea that Freddie that he's maybe saying, well, the reason we made all these horror movies in the eighties was kind of an outlet for all of the bad shit that was happening in the eighties. Oh that yeah. We couldn't talk about, you know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that's a hundred percent accurate because you, you even look at what he did with the first Elm street. He, he it's 84, the first Elm street. So 10 years in between the two, um, you know, uh, Reagan's second term's about to start. We're kind of, I mean, that whole movie's whole, the whole juice of that movie is literally what you're talking about, which is Reagan comes in and sort of just starts sweeping all the darkness under the rug and like, oh yeah, everything's great, everything's great, like the parents in Elm Street, and then you start realizing, oh, all the bad shit we did is going to start coming and fucking killing us in ways we cannot stop. And our parents are helpless to help, are helpless to actually help us. And we have to do it on our own. And we're going to watch as a lot of our friends die. Same thing with, with this. I think, you know, Clinton's been president for two years at this point. Uh, we're starting to maybe reckon with the things, reckon with the things Reagan did, um, with reckon with the things that Bush one did. And, yeah, the ancient evil, the way evil changes shape. I think Wes was definitely a guy who, you know, he started his career making a movie about the violence in Vietnam and turning that into a horror movie. Um, he definitely was not a fan of the Reagan thing. I definitely think he's got it, this thing in his mind of evil changes shape. I've seen it in my lifetime. And the more we keep ignoring things, the more it's 
going to come and bite us in the ass. I, that seems like kind of the biggest thing in his career really is if we don't reckon with things, it's just going to overflow and bite us in the ass. And um, just even in terms of like where, where movies were when each of those movies came out, like you look at the first Elm street, it comes out and it revitalizes the slasher genre, mm-hmm. you know, well, you think of the slasher genre it was just riding high for eight years. It kind of wasn't. It was kind of dipping a little bit before Elm Street came out because it was really just like, okay, how many guys in masks and how many point mm-hmm. of view shots with bad mysteries can we really come up with? Okay, blah, blah, blah. And then he comes in with this fucking, like, you literally can't copy what West did because everyone will immediately just go, okay, it's a Nightmare on Elm Street ripoff. Yeah. Same thing with this right. one. <laughs> Horror's dead. Horror is dead at this point. It's been, what, four years since the last Elm Street. The last fucking, you know, the the last Halloween movie was 89. The last Jason movie was 91, 92. Um, And they've all been getting eviscerated. There's no horror. Horror is dead. And he's kind of reckoning with that fact because the text of the movie is we make horror movies, like Mike says, as this outlet to unleash all of, to, to kind of let all of the bad things out that we're not dealing with. And if we're not making them, things might not go as well as we want them to go. You know, it could almost kind of be a tasteless joke, but not really. What happened between New Nightmare and Freddy vs. Jason? We got complacent. We got complacent. We got complacent. Mike said, oh, it's the end of history, whatever. You know, everything's great. Nothing bad's ever going to happen again. Then what happens? 9-11 happens. The world falls apart because we just started ignoring all of the bad things. And, you know, uh, horror hit a big resurgence in the 2000s, even if it wasn't always the movies we loved, like the torture porn things or the Japanese remakes or the American remakes, but we were making them. Mm-hmm. And then there was a bit of a dip again. And I don't know, it seems like it seems like we're in a big peak of horror right now because a lot of artists are just like, please, let's <laughs> let's fix things with our art, please, for the yeah. love of God. Everything is literally falling apart. Can we try to get the genie back in the fucking bottle, please? What are you talking about, Tom? I think everything's everything's fine, and I'm not refreshing 538 every uh, two minutes tonight. It's, everything's fine. <laughs> doing great. But I, I was curious on that, because I, I, Tom obviously said it, but, but Micah, Jordan, like, with that whole thing about you know the effect of history, and especially you guys have been watching all of these yeah. straight through, do you I mean, obviously, the other ones besides one and three don't have Wes's influence and maybe don't have the political undercurrents uh, as strongly. But do you guys kind of feel that in in those films leading up to it and this? Well, it is interesting to say about like horror reckoning us reckoning with what's maybe going on in our lives. And it is interesting in this movie. It is literally Wes and Heather Lincoln Camp like reckoning with it. It's just really personal if you look at it that way. It, it's beyond like let's just write another horror movie with like the same characters or new characters but yeah. it is reckoning with stuff it's like no we're actually going to do it ourselves and the only way to destroy freddy is to make another movie literally yeah. like yeah. <laughs> the, the 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 metaphor goes to becomes a literal metaphor so i it's not a metaphor anymore but <laughs> yeah and for for me 
the thing, you know, I wasn't I wasn't necessarily thinking about the the decades in time. I was thinking more in like a film uh, timeline. And and about halfway through the movie, it just hit me that and 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 I'd love to hear if if you have any thoughts on why this is the case. But it seems like as far as franchise filmmaking goes, horror is like decades ahead of any other genre. Because you have literally like you have the Universal monsters doing series and connected universes, <laughs> like you know, sixty years before anyone else is going to do it. This movie is like being meta and crazy. I can't think. I mean, I'm probably forgetting something, but I can't think of something that's this meta and this particularly about filmmaking that that comes out outside of this and Scream. And um, oh man, there. There's a couple others I was just thinking about, but it feels like because they're able to make horror movies so quickly and the fans are so fervent and want to see everything, even if it's terrible, they just have to evolve or die. Whereas like mainstream blockbusters, it takes them so long to make them, especially now, the the big ones, that that they can't have their finger on the pulse. Hmm. And so it's well, like, hmm. you know, when it, you know, I think I think about like Barbarian which, you know, subverts expectations, crazy, great movie. And it's like, in 10 years, maybe, we're going to get the action movie that learns from this movie, finally. But it's not going to be right away, <laughs> because they're always behind. At least that's what I was thinking and noticing. Well, it's interesting you say that, because I would like to point out, and this is my favorite aspect of New Nightmare in a way. Yeah. You're talking about movies that are that meta about filmmaking um, that didn't come along for this. They do exist, but you would never think of them in the conversation about A Nightmare on Elm Street because what this movie owes a lot to is Fellini's Eight and a Half, is Woody yeah. Allen's oh, yeah. Stardust Memories, is Bob Fosse's All That Jazz. You know, New Nightmare in its own way is part of a rich tradition of kind of those Bildungsroman um, films, uh, those films about filmmaking that we still get constantly. Um, you know, I mean, I think uh Inyaritu has one out coming this year that's like his kind of eight and a half every yeah. director wants to make their eight and a half um and also in a way this is indebted to luigi pirandello with six characters in search of an author um the thing about wes craven that's so interesting is he is such a high-minded individual he is such a scholarly individual i mean when you think about it like last house on the left this movie that was like this controversial, like people acted like it was a fucking snuff film when it came out. Last House on the Left comes because Wes Craven saw Ingmar Bergman's The Virgin Spring, right? So he's pulling from other sources in this. Yeah. And I do think, you know, you're talking about horror being ahead. Um, in some senses, I, I, I agree with you, especially because they are cheap and they can be churned out quickly. But I also think that there's an element of horror is such a when it's hot, people are churning things out constantly. It's something Tom and I talk about a lot when it comes to like when people complain now about how many superhero movies there are. And they're like, oh, my God, it's everything. Yeah. But there's always one of those. There's always a prevailing genre. Like right. now there's a fetishization of the Western um, as some great American genre. And it's like, that's true if you only watch the ones that were influential and survived. There were 50 or 60 others. Like, everybody's watching The Searchers right. and goes, ah, the Western. 
absolutely nobody is going to watch Trigger Jr. or Sunset in the West or the 50 other Roy Rogers Westerns that came out except me because I have nothing else to do. But with horror... <laughs> Doing your like, homework. Doing your no, homework. But, but like, truly, with horror, you know... Um, we there are they are doing there are some horror films that are doing some super interesting things they become very influential that's absolutely true but i do think a part of that is because there are so many they can be made for so cheap but there are so many and the couple that actually do something interesting survive because people find them and go oh well this small little thing is doing something interesting why don't sure, i lift yeah. this why don't i lift this and that but there are obviously a deluge of Others Bad. that are just, you know, yeah. Bad. There's there's a delusion of terrifiers. Right. Um, oh but boy. <laughs> I think um I think it's also because horror allows you it's like the sci-fi thing. It allows you to slip things in yeah. that otherwise an audience wouldn't be interested in. We know that audiences would not watch the Virgin Spring. I would. I could tell them it's not what you think it is. It's a lot more hardcore and inter- and like yeah. watchable than you think it is. You know, um, Max von Sydow picks up a child and chucks him across the room and breaks his neck against the wall. It's pretty hardcore. I, you know, <laughs> ten out of ten would recommend. Um, but yeah, Last House on the Left is The Virgin Spring. Hell's of Eyes is Straw Dogs. Uh, this in the text he's telling you I'm doing Hansel and Gretel. The, yeah. Grim right. ver- yeah. the Grim, the Grim fairy, the Grim fairy tale version of Hansel and Gretel, but he's doing that, and like all the other thing, eight and a half, whatever. West is also seemingly the only man with the balls big enough to just say, "I'm not even going to have a stand-in for me. I'm just going to be me. I'm going to have it be Heather right. Langenkamp. Right. I'm going to give myself a lavish LA mansion with a pool that runs roughly." half the mississippi river um (laughs) it's 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 all these things of horror is quick horror is cheap usually there's not a lot of cooks in the kitchen so you can when you have a guy like wes who's not being wrangled so much he can slip these smarter things in that otherwise would not be interesting to a mainstream audience, but by putting it in a yeah. movie where a babysitter is dragged across a, a, a hospital ceiling <laughs> and, and her neck is slashed, people go, oh my God, that's interesting. I wish more movies were like that. And you could go, well, there are, mm-hmm. but there are no interdimensional demons who are trapped in art trying to kill a you child. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. and to your point, Tom, and I just want to touch on this because you mentioned something about what you can get away with in horror. I think another element uh, to your point, Micah, is is the fact that horror and science fiction, but especially horror, is seemingly the only genre now where an audience is fully willing to give you suspension of disbelief. Yeah. Oh, like, yeah. Sure. It is so sure. hard. So many movies come out now, movies we like, movies we enjoy, but like when a drama or something comes out, the audience is very quick to go... Well, that wouldn't really happen, and I wouldn't yeah. do this, and this yeah. wouldn't that. I went to go. I mean, you know, I to me, like one of my, uh, one of my favorite films this year I saw recently was Tar. Yeah, and oh, yeah. I'm not going to spoil Tar for anybody, but like, here's a movie where like multiple times I've seen people go, "Well, I don't know, I, I don't." If somebody said this, then wouldn't they respond with this and this? And, and I, I, you know, one thing that I've come to to love, um. You guys, uh, have you guys seen Magnolia, the Paul yeah. Thomas Anderson yes. film? Right. Yes. So I have, it's literally on my on the corner of my laptop screen now as like a constant reminder, but I printed out, uh, and I have it multiple places, 
just that little slip of paper that says, but it did happen. And I, yeah. I have fallen so in love with that because I think it's such a thing that we, we need when we talk about stories, when we talk about movies, which is anytime you're watching a movie and something happens, instead of being the person that goes, well, I don't know if that would, but it did happen. So, so it did. Yeah. And yeah, a lot of people are doing that with the tar. So many of these other things, like, I don't know about this. And yet Pearl, another movie I love this year, because it is a horror movie, because you know you need suspension of disbelief to go into a horror movie. Anything that happens in Pearl, the audience is willing to just go, yeah, sure, I guess. Yeah, I guess <laughs> she just she just rides that scarecrow. Why not? Like, there is this built-in suspension of disbelief, and I'm, I mean, for the most part, I will admit there is one element of New Nightmare that I find unrealistic, and I always complain about it. And I should I should okay. I sell it out? Should I sell it out now or do you yeah, want to do it? it? Let's let's go. Let's go. Okay. Okay. Here's what it is. Everybody knows who Heather Langenkamp is. <laughs> My yeah. complaint with this movie is that if this wanted to be right, when they get to the hospital or whenever it is, I forget exactly what it is, but I just oh, remember yeah. e every time I watch it, I text Tom about this one. Somebody goes, You're Heather Langenkamp. And I'm like, no. If you want me to believe this movie, <laughs> what they should do is go. As anybody who has been to Los Angeles or New York and met a celebrity knows, what they should do is go, you're that, oh my God, you're that actress. You're yep. in, um, yeah. uh, I swear to God, I've seen you on TV. That There should be five minutes yeah. where the babysitter <laughs> is getting dragged across the ceiling. And meanwhile, somebody's going, is it party of five? No. <laughs> well, you know, that's that's just Wes's version for her of the unrealistic reality he's giving her. He's like, all right, I gave myself a mansion. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm going you to can be recognized you, everywhere. You can be the most recognized woman in all it's of like, Los Angeles. Uh, it's um, like, come on, yeah. like she should be like Richard Jenkins. When you run into them, you go, <laughs> I swear to God. Yeah, I've seen you in a million <laughs> things. In things. Yeah. Because remember, folks, if you Google Richard Jenkins. Um, nobody else remembers that the Oscars, the year they, do you guys remember this? That one no? like, for two years at the Oscars, they did this weird thing where they would have like somebody's former co-star introduce each of the nominees. Yeah. Okay. Remember yeah. okay. And it's supposed to be a great moment for them. And Richard Jenkins is nominated for the visitor or something like that, but it's Richard Jenkins. He's got an Oscar nomination. This yeah. should be the moment of his life. And they bring out Adrian Brody to speak on his behalf. And Adrian Brody starts his introduction for Richard Jenkins' Shining Moment by going, if you Google Richard Jenkins, oh, you're going to no. find a lot of titles. <laughs> what? what? That's a fuck, little rough. Man? Oh, That's I a little rough. I've not seen that. Meanwhile, like, Colin Farrell has just said a, a glowing tribute to the late Heath Ledger, even though they were in fucking SWAT together or something. Uh, <laughs> right, and, right, right. and then Adrian Brody is just practically like, I don't know. The dictionary guy. definition of Richard Jenkins is... <laughs> That's totally off topic, and I'm so sorry, but any chance I get to bring up Adrian well, Brody wild. not knowing well, Richard Jenkins makes me happy. Yeah. One one thing that it was like a puzzle piece that, that fit together for me watching this is Heather Lang... So I did not grow up watching the Nightmare movies. Horror is like a the last five years thing mm -hmm. for me. So I've been diving in and loving it, but... I uh I'm watching this movie and I so I did not know she was in this movie. I made sure that I stayed away yeah, from anything. Same. And then when the movie started and it's going, I was like, 
oh, so this is why Heather Langenkamp is so revered. Like, this movie puts the nail in the coffin of, like, she is... I I know that she's in Nightmare 1, and she is in 3, and she's great in both, but I feel like this makes her, like, okay, she's the Jamie Lee Curtis of this series. Like, if she's in it, it's a sign of quality. Let's go. Because as we're watching these movies, I'm just like, she's only in two of these, and it, it doesn't feel like... I would put her up there with the final girls I've seen in other things. And then when we watched this, it just came together and I understood. Well, because this is the one that really, I feel like, gives her a meaty role to work with. And Wes has grown as a director since uh, the first Elm Street. And, you know, because it's a thing that a lot of horror fans, they like to kind of rag on her for her performance as Nancy in one and three that she's kind of her dialogue is maybe, you know, her performance is maybe a little stiff and you can kind of tell she's delivering the dialogue, which I think people are a little too rough on her, but I think that's kind of a thing of Wes is not the best actors director. You get the best performances in Wes movies from like people that have acted before, you know, a Bill Pullman or, you know, Mm -hmm. half the cast of twin peaks and the people under the stairs, um or you know the screen movies actors that don't need to be like okay this is your first movie let's get a performance out of you that's not some of our some of our finest thespians like jamie kennedy and david arquette (laughs) i mean dude jamie kennedy had an insane 90 so you can make a joke but that dude was in a lot of shit that is on like top 10 lists it's It's fucking insane it's true and he's doing great now He's doing absolutely he's, great. He is doing great picking garbage out has from a under lot the people of, that slept has, at the January 6th insurrection. Has a lot um, of it has a lot of great thoughts on medical science. Has a lot of oh, awesome so opinions. Of, wow. That's something I I've know learned. that there's a town that's near us. And I use the word town very, very literally because the population is probably I'm talking Butte Falls. Very is, small. I mean, that's like probably in the is, hundreds, it, yeah, right? A couple Does hundreds. Jamie Kennedy live in the sewers there? No, but I got an ad on, well, okay, funny joke, but <laughs> I got an ad on Instagram and it was like, he's playing a comedy show there. And in I was Butte like, Falls? In Where? Butte Falls? I didn't even know they had a venue that someone could play in. Oof, that's not good. It was very, uh, very strange. He's playing in an abandoned phone booth. It's fine. <laughs> now, based, Jordan, on, I... based on those things that you're saying that maybe he is uh, spouting these days, which I didn't know about, because... I don't follow him. Why would I? Um, <laughs> it makes sense that he would be in Butte Falls. <laughs> here's, here's the thing, Jordan. A, a, you seem surprised by this, but I'd like to remind you, he was a comedian in the 90s, right. which means yeah, I shouldn't, absolutely I shouldn't he has those opinions now. Yeah. That's yeah. just, what, if your career was good in the 90s and tanked in the 2000s, you have a lot of opinions. It's like him, Kevin Sorbo, Rob Schneider, anybody <laughs> yeah. who had success in the 90s, and then, like, when the last Quaaludes ran Dean out, Kane. so did their career. Dean Kane. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, oh, man. Like, but Jim like, Brewer. This is, okay. Yeah. So this yeah. is, like, the movie. This is the movie where Heather, act, I feel like Heather gets a good, a really good role. It, yeah. And it's funny, too, because she's on the Midnight Club now because she hasn't been acting for a long time. You know, she wanted to be a mom. She was doing makeup effects with her husband, who is actually a makeup effects guy. Again, Wes just taking her life. And putting it into this movie but like it's you know seeing midnight club and then going back and watching this again it's very clear she was a good actress if she had direction she needed to age into not needing to be directed so much yeah but she has a real 
it feels real what she's going through, even though what she's going through is literally the, the most banana shit that's ever happened <laughs> to any woman in the world. Like uh-huh. uh, fighting an interdimensional demon who's molding itself on a character you fought 10 years earlier in a movie. Um, it's crazy. And but she brings <laughs> a real like m- motherly weight to like what's going on here that I don't think she could she could have got delivered in 84 and Wes couldn't have got out of her in 84 and yeah this is the movie that I think puts her up there and kind of shows why none of the other Elm Street heroes ever measured up to what Nancy was able to bring to this and yeah yeah, like it's honestly I said this to my it's fucking crazy that we don't have a new Elm Street movie and that we don't even have like that nobody's like saying hey Let's do the Halloween 2018, but with Nancy. Like, it's why nuts. is no? I know. Yeah. There is no lawsuit like the Friday the 13th thing, which is settled and is getting a prequel show from Brian fucking Fuller of all people <laughs> before a new Elm Street movie is has been announced. The remake is not that bad, people. It doesn't need to have killed the franchise. If fucking Chucky can survive Seed of Chucky to become... <laughs> The craziest TV show on television right now. Nightmare on Elm Street can survive Jackie Earl Haley barely being able to move his face in that prosthetic makeup. It's fine. Like, let's be okay with this. I think there's something too, and I want to. I I had this as one of my notes, and I was thinking about not just her in this, but but um her, you know, in the clips I've seen in Midnight Club. One of the things that is fascinating about Heather Langenkamp, but I do think like when you're making a film. You, you don't just factor in like the performance of the actors. Obviously, the visuals are an element as well, right? You know, yeah. an actor's body is their tool as well. And that becomes a tool of a director. I think part of what makes Heather Langenkamp so compelling in this film and seeing her now, like today, emphasizes it even more, which is, you know how sometimes we talk about actors and we say like, oh, they haven't aged a day, right? Mm-hmm. Sure, yeah. There is something fascinating about Heather Langenkamp in both her face and her mannerisms where her mannerisms don't change. Her vibe hasn't changed. And when you look at her, no matter how much time has passed to me anyway, she always looks like somebody took Heather Langenkamp in nightmare on Elm street and is like, now you're playing a character that's 10 years older. And we put like theater old (laughs) age effects on her. Sure. And I, I, I mean that in a, in a way that I find so compelling when I watch this movie because it when she has to become Nancy again, it does feel so seamless in a way that like when you watch the 2018 Halloween, like Jamie Lee Curtis has to obviously play what uh, Laurie Strode would be in her 60s, right? Yeah, yeah. That there has to be that transformation there. Whereas... Heather Langenkamp, I think her look, you know, uh, feeds into that very well. It's it's so easy to see the Nancy from Nightmare on Elm Street yeah. in there, so that when she has to make that shift, and I just think it's it's the way that she carries herself and the look that she has is so it becomes so compelling when you take her out of Elm Street and put her into this film's fictional reality. I also think, like Tom noted, her husband being a special effects person does make this all feel a little more fucked up at points. Yeah, Where, like <laughs> we're gonna like, kill your husband. Because, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Like, I get that you put fictional families in this, 
but like Michael Jordan has actors playing his family in uh-huh. Space Jam. But you don't have a scene where it's like, all right, Michael Jordan, your wife has been murdered by the Monstars. Like, you don't, you just <laughs> leave them alone. You leave them out of it. All right. Right. All right. And okay. Like... Well, you you just made Space Jam better. Number one. Let's put, <laughs> yeah. I it, mean... adds, it adds a real dramatic weight to the first Space Jam that is sorely missing. If the Monstars slaughtered <laughs> murdered his family, <laughs> Michael Jordan's family because of a gambling debt. Um, <laughs> yeah. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, it was, is that, I, is that I, the I, line that gets deleted from this episode? We'll see. We'll, we'll find see. Out. We will see. It might have cut it, a little too it's, close it from is home. My, it, it is my Ooh. goal to get at least one per episode. Um, Which is great, because you don't remember what you say, so we could just tell you, and you, you'll yeah, be yeah. like, sure, I guess I said that. <laughs> I, I, I did that in the last one, right? What yep, did I do? You absolutely did. I'm not repeating it, because I'm just going to cut from this one. <laughs> All right, tell me later. I'll tell you later. Um, <laughs> but you, anyway. Um. Oh I don't boy. Know what were we talking about? Space I, Jam. I, improving yeah, it. Oh, why would this you, is, Jordan? This you is had why a chance to get this. You guys on. Jordan, you had a chance to get this not only back on. Oh track, my god! Imagine how much better. Choose the new topic. I and you imagine trail. Back, <laughs> imagine how much it? better Space Jam Two would be <laughs> if LeBron's wife was gunned down by the wacky <laughs> racer mobsters. <laughs> The Wacky Racers, that's a different franchise. There, Aren't they all in WB? Space Jam 2, though? There is an uh, infinity amount. I don't think Warner Brothers owns the Wacky Racers. <laughs> Hanna-Barbera, also oh, I on guess Cartoon they Network. Do. Yeah, I guess, yeah. yeah. I, yeah fuck you. you I, made... I knew more about cartoons than you, you fucking I'll nerd. Have to, I'll have to revisit Space Jam 2 when I open up my 4K steelbook. They put um, the fucking <laughs> nurses... They put the, they put the, the nuns the from nuns the devils. The nuns from the, the devils, yes. And so then the droogs from Clockwork Orange. How far off would it have been for the wacky racer, the mobsters from the wacky races, to just pull up to LeBron's house and just start unloading Tommy guns listen, into her slow motion listen, style? I don't need I don't need any changes to Space Jam Two because that is oh, the do. most that is the most oddly prophetic movie of all time. <laughs> because you watch it now and you're like, who's the villain of this movie? Well, Warner Brothers has decided to rely entirely on an algorithm that decides to start deleting classic Warner Brothers content Ugh, out of a vendetta. Yeah. And you're like, well, they called their shot early. <laughs> it would be like it would be like if you watched like, I don't know, the Muppets go to Walt Disney World. And at one point, Kermit just goes, I guess we're going to jack up the prices until it's impossible for anyone to attend. We're going <laughs> to kill the park opera tickets, folks. You'd be like, wow, they called it. Way early, who could have seen that coming? But I was really expecting to go somewhere else when you said Kermit sucks jerking. I was, I'm sorry. And we have our line. <laughs> no, but uh, while while yes, Space Jam Two has proved to be quite prophetic. That does not make that movie any more watchable. That is like that it. is a scourge on humanity to have have sat through that that movie. Even even. With it being a Patreon episode, knowing that 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 we're getting paid to watch it, it wasn't worth it. Mm-hmm. Tough movie. I have the 4K steelbook. Anyway, <laughs> and he doesn't own a 4K player. I don't. I don't. Uh, I bought it because it'd be funny. I thought it'd be funny fucking, to own. You it is. It is whore. funny to own. I also have the two exclusive Xbox Series S Space Jam A New Legacy controllers. Uh, I went all out on ironically buying merch. Uh, you know what? When you movie. do that much ironically, though, it's not really irony in it at a certain point. No, no, he just becomes he's love. Fully, he's fully <laughs> been consumed by his 
his you, ironic need to be a merch boy, and he's I, now just a merch boy. I you like love algae at, rhythm. I like to look at my collection and go, someday when somebody finds me dangling somewhere, all of this functions as a note. I, that's how I like to look at the stuff that I own. <laughs> oh my God. Is it somebody will just go? <laughs> now we have our second line. <laughs> Listen, listen, there's no reason to cut anybody that has listened to any episode of our show has heard me say pretty much the same thing. I'm about a spiral for the both of our bulk of our seasons a lot. Somebody go back and listen to our episode on the crowd and be amazed that I was able to record another one. It's a lot. I come in. I come in real hot sometimes. Uh, but hey, listen, if we're going to talk about uh, darkness overtaking people, why not on New Nightmare? When darkness overtakes the kid from Kindergarten Cop, is it? What? Who is that kid? Kindergarten yeah, Cop kindergarten and Pet Cop. Cemetery. Yep. Yeah, he is yeah. great in this. Yeah. He's oh, a weird little boy. Okay, so great. He's so terrified. Don't think I so? loved him. I find him irksome. Crazy. Oh. I find hot. Take. I find I find the parts that he's in this movie to be a little difficult. I so I wow. loved New Nightmare when I first saw it. Uh -huh. Like what well, the first time I saw it, I was like, hell yes, I'm all in on this thing. Great. Every time since I have had points where I'm like, I love the ideas in this. There are certain little patches I hit where I'm like, I could. We're OK. The hospital stuff's taken a while. OK, this kid's a bit of a drag. OK, this is not like I, I wow. don't I don't. I, and I'm not normally one of these people to go like, I hate child actors or anything like that. I do think we've gotten a lot better in the last, say, 10, 20 years with, like, kids in horror movies and sure. understanding, like... Because, you know, people like to complain about the kid in The Shining um, and, like, other, like, little kids showing up in horror movies. I do just kind of find, like, there is something about him and that, that those kind of, like, kid in horror movie performances that I think we've just gotten we've gotten better about, or at least we've gotten better reacting to. Like, I guess my thing is I recently rewatched the Babadook and the kid in the Babadook is annoying as shit, but intentionally so. And the mom is reacting yeah. to the kid like, and everybody is reacting to the kid like, this kid's weird. Whereas yeah. I feel like in this film, well, one of the problems... The Babadook should have ate him. Well, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I feel like with this movie, like, I guess one of my things with it is that I I think if you're gonna do a movie that's that's doing like, hey, this kid gets gradually weirder and wackier as the movie goes on, he can't be seemingly like a little off from the beginning. And I think that when you have child actors, they can be a little child actory. Yeah. And it makes sure. it a little harder for me to necessarily feel that descent like uh, somebody who's great is like like a uh, obviously he's a sh shiny example but like a jacob tremblay can play natural so well that when bad shit happens to him or the kids in that uh in the it remake or the yeah. it movie, yeah uh yeah those are normal uh, when they're supposed to be weird they're weird and they're a little bit outcast but like you're like oh those are normal kids and then shit happens to them but i do find that like especially in the 90s like kid actors could be so like little adult well that it does this, become a little harder it this is this goes back to the thing i said of wes is maybe not the best at yeah wrangling performances out of people that aren't so naturally able to just show up and perform uh he 
didn't really work with kids much in his career other than people under the stairs where he worked with one of the mighty ducks um I mean, he I'm was sticking good. to Fool my guns. I, I, I don't think he was bad. I don't, I don't, I don't think he was as bad as Mike, Mike thinks he is. But I do think there is, there are points where, you know, this is Wes. He's not the best with young rookie actors that need to be coaxed out of a performance out of, uh, you know, his dialogue doesn't really help things at points. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it, it, there's really no contest that the best script he's ever worked with was scream because yeah. kevin williamson actually knew how to write dialogue i mean right. i made yeah. the joke to mike when i was watching it that it's it makes me laugh in the hospital scene where the babysitter punches the one nurse and then the other one goes <laughs> what you can't do that and it's just like oh. it's like it's like okay, Wes, come on, like you, you, you can do a little better than this. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, which again, which also has one of my favorite like one scene running gags of just that one nurse who keeps yeah. getting walloped by somebody. Yeah. You know, the babysitter punches her in the face, and then Nancy just elbows her in the tit. Like, yeah. it's, it's, like, it's like, what did this woman ever do to anybody? I know. She was just doing her goddamn job. Yeah, I, I do think with kid like. I do th think that what Mike and I've actually talked about it a lot on the pod that we're like, so, so like we have so many good kid actors right now. Um, and unfortunately they're growing up, but unfortunately they're growing up, including Jacob Tremblay. Uh, but like, I do think like, yeah, we're getting a lot of more natural performances. Maybe directors are better at working with kids than in the past. Like there's just more of a focus, but I think with this kid, I loved his performance. And thinking about 90s kids' performances and nightmare movies, it's like, yeah, he's kind of zany. He's kind of, you know, he's acting. And I, I think I love that. Like, it's just you, kind of nostalgic for it. You yeah. also got to think about that, at, at, you know, at the time, you probably weren't getting many parents willing to let their kids be in movies like this. I mean, there's a reason why this kid is... You know, he's in Pet Cemetery as yeah. well. He's in Kindergarten Cop. You know, he's not in the, you know, he's not like the kid you get in The Little Rascals. His parents were more <laughs> like, yeah, let's let's give him a Wes Craven movie. Why not? You know, you know, horror wasn't very reputable still at the time. You're not going to let you, you, you know, thank God, apparently this kid was not, you know, with one of those child actors whose parents were fucking nightmare. His, he wasn't Macaulay Culkin. Let's put it that way. Yeah, yeah. Where right, his parents... Right tortured the shit out of him and yeah. robbed him blind. Kit, Michael Hughes is apparently a well-adjusted adult at this point. Yeah. Happily gay, living his life. Not He loves that he was in these movies. Yeah. Um, <laughs> nowadays, horror is a little more reputable. It's still got a, a bit of a stain to it, which is good. Horror needs to be yeah. a bit disreputable, but you're gonna. Uh, it's going to be easier to get a Jacob Tremblay getting brutally mur murdered in Dr. Sleep it's going to be easier to get that little girl in hereditary getting her head knocked off by a, a telephone pole in hereditary um i think he laughs it, it, <laughs> I, listen it's it listen it's it's a good bit you know <laughs> um it's 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 just the times have changed where i think that par the parents of these child actors are a little more willing to have their kids be in these movies and I, the pickings aren't as slim as they were back in yeah. 94. Yeah. I also think part of it though is the performance style has gone out of fashion where like oh, I yeah. feel like for decades 
moviegoers loved spunky kid who kind of mm. feels like a little adult like we loved that oh yeah, yeah. um yeah. you know like uh, i'll do anything or any of those kind of just like Home alone. oh yeah, yeah any of that right and i do think that part of the reason that shifts is like we saw what happened to all of those child stars of the 90s and how much being a tiny adult fucks kids up yeah, and yeah now we're never just, ranch yeah but that's thing like we're now we don't want to think about that um, we yeah. still will have child. We'll still have child actors in movies, but we're like, don't do that thing because it reminds us of the bad stuff. Right. <laughs> Let's pretend. Don't show me the pig before you give me the hot dogs. Let's just pretend that everybody's good. Um, and I, I think that does give us a more natural performance. And I also think we've done better uh, about yeah. how we treat yeah children sure. in in entertainment. But I did just I I guess that's one of the things that does kind of get me with this film is, I suppose in a way if I have a problem with New Nightmare, um, which I largely enjoy, uh, I do think it is one of those things where when I watch it, I do feel like, obviously it's doing things that weren't really being done in mainstream horror in a lot of ways, and I love that. I do think on repeat viewings, one of my things with New Nightmare is I do feel like, oh, I do kind of wish that there was a little more ground that had already been broken so that some of the kinks could be worked out here in terms okay. of what we're what we're driving at. Um, I think that and obviously, like we said, it's a blueprint for Scream in a way and how he tackles, you know, meta horror in that. And I think that works great. But I do just sometimes feel like when I'm watching it, whether it's like, oh, I think some moments drag a little bit or I think that some things can maybe be a little more heavy handed than they need to be like, oh, uh, it absolutely had to be that way for the time. I totally get why yeah. it turns out that way in 1994 and in that world that we got. But when I watch it in contrast to say in the mouth of madness, the carpenter film that comes out the same year. Um, and obviously new nightmare is a, is a, you know, is a, I think was a better liked in its time. Um, but I think the reason why in the mouth of Madison doors is Wes Craven is trying to do something new and metatextual and he wants to make sure that the audience is with him every step of the way. And he's taking the precautions to make it a comfortable ride for those watching. And In the Mouth of Madness is a movie that just cracks its knuckles at the start and goes, I'm hitting pedal to the metal. And if you cannot follow along, I that do heavy, not care. That I heavy metal guitar care. kicks in and yeah. John Carpenter's like, let's rock and roll. But I think that, but I think, you know, Mike isn't wrong, but I, I don't think it's so much a thing about, I wish someone had done it first so the ground was broken i think this is just a problem with wes in general before again this is like i said he doesn't have a great script until kevin williamson gives him one because wes's biggest problem his entire career was his ambition was greater than his talents as a filmmaker you know john carpenter never really made other than like the thing he wasn't he never made big budget movies he was always scrapping for scrapping well, along from for budgets. Okay, well, way to make the exception for, to the rule. Um, <laughs> but like, there's a difference between Wes's career and John's career, which is that John was a natural filmmaker. Wes wasn't. The story, you know, Wes's story was he didn't even like see a movie until he was in college. And he was seeing like Disney movies and all this shit. He was a late bloomer. He was a guy that was about ideas. So the but the movies were a little rough around the edges. Last House on the Left, 
Why are those cops in the movie? It's insane. You know, the, the, the Hills Have Eyes kind of drags a bit, even though it has its its punch. Night, the first Nightmare on Elm Street, kind of a rough around the edges movie, has some great special effects, but kind of drags a little bit too. It's a little bit like, okay. Uh, not to mention the technical aspects. He doesn't really get great with the technical stuff, making films like the cinematography and all that stuff until Scream. Once he had all the support in the world, he kind. this was just kind of Wes's thing. His ambition was greater than his talent. As much as I love the man, I don't want to denigrate him, but he was the rougher version of Carpenter. Carpenter knew how to make his ideas palatable and he knew how to execute them like a Swiss fucking watch. That's why I love New Nightmare, but In the Mouth of Madness kind of takes this movie's lunch money, in my opinion. It's just... it's. Just, <laughs> I mean, because Mike says it all the time, anytime something bad is going on in the world, be it in my life or just in the macro sense of the world is on fire, I always post the gif from the end of the movie of Sam Neill watching the movie he had just lived and right. just laughing until he's kind of crying just that madness H.P. Lovecraft yeah. thing. That that is that scene is to you what the ending of Nashville is to me. Like it's the ultimate yeah. like go to of like I don't. The world is bad. Everything's <laughs> terrible. It's a nightmare. Yeah. Everything's. <laughs> I watched the ending of Nashville on loop in like fucking November 2016 for no reason in particular. To, um, uh, it's November 2020. Huh. Um, yeah. But um... <laughs> every day I'm just humming every it day. don't worry me for four years. <laughs> but yeah, this movie's a little too long. Uh, you know, it it, it could have used a little judicious editing, I, I will admit. Um, it, it, it kind of blew my mind that it was like an hour and 54 minutes. Um, so that's like half a Terrifier too. <laughs> I mean, you could. That's 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 like the intermission for Terrifier Two, and that's. I'm I'm, I'm unnecessarily grumpy about Terrifier Two. <laughs> I haven't seen Terrifier Two. There's people in my life who are like, "No, you got to see Terrifier Two. You don't need to see Terrifier One. Terrifier One sucks." I'm like, "Yeah, but I want to. Like, I am not just going to go into the second yeah. one. Let me watch yeah. Terrifier One." And I watched Terrifier 1, and I'm like, oh, this is the worst piece of shit I've seen <laughs> maybe since film school, where every asshole thought just because they had a camera, they they it, their ideas were worth being shown. And I just said, <laughs> no, this is awful. To be clear, to be clear, Tom did not know the runtime of Terrifier 2 until I told him, and I only no, told I, him. No, I, I knew you? what the runtime was. Because no, we talked about it. Was put it. No, what, I, oh, what you okay. did was yeah. put it into context that Terrifier 2 is longer than 2001, which yeah. is... Which I don't like 2001, but 2001's a movie that's trying to chart the evolution of the human race from the apes to us in the future being mm. able to do space travel without having to have Elon Musk involved. And you think that that's requires that less needs... runtime than Art the Clown doing silly poses and killing people? You don't think that that I fuck, merits? I fucking hate Art the Clown. How, how I long want... was the first I... one? <laughs> it's 84 minutes. minutes. Oh, what? Okay. So, and here's so, the thing. It's yeah. too long. <laughs> yeah, I, I believe it. 84 minutes is too long. It's, I, I, it I, got it's, to the point where... This is he, why we're... <laughs> where they do... It gets to the point where they do this... They think they're being clever. They're doing their Janet Lee, Drew Barrymore things like, oh, who you think's the final girl's not actually the final girl. And I'm like, there's still 50 minutes left in this movie. How is there 50 minutes left in this movie? It's just a bunch of dipshits wandering around a fucking warehouse in New York. And it's 84 minutes. What do we even do? Go 
fuck so, yourself. Art so the Clown, if I find you on the street, I'm going to so, fucking so beat the shit out of you. So, I'm going to so, make you okay, beg. Okay, Tom, Also, Tom, how's Tom, this? Tom, no, also, wait. No, no. How's this for how stupid this fucking movie is? He's Art the Clown. But he doesn't speak. Clowns can speak, you fucking moron. That's mimes. <laughs> Wait, mimes a... don't speak. Okay, now I have a question because you watched the movie, and I want you to get your worth out of it. So I have que- I have a question. What, ask, ask away. What is? Where is he from? Like, what is he? Oh, I don't is, know. They don't oh, say. They don't All say. All they do is they just say, "Oh, there's this clown, and he does bit. He does stick before he kills people. But then at the end, he shoots himself in the head. But then, oh wait, he's supernatural, and he comes back to life." Oh, cool! Fucking cool! And how about I slap you get, the next time you try to write a get, script? We get two hours. Of, so this is the only the only thing was like I did think about because I heard the reviews for Terrified Two and I was like, you know, I kind of miss. Like, I look, I'm sick of elevated horror. I'm tired of it. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't mean to sound reductive with that, but like, there's just something about like I don't need to see a horror movie that explains its subtext to me for ten minutes at the end, right? Yeah. Well, not even really about that explains the subtext at the end. That's about one thing. Yeah. And, and it tells you that thing from the beginning, and just is yeah. like, well, it's about men. Yeah. I mean, like that's kind of the thing is you do, you know, you do get that, <laughs> but it is like this thing of like you know, I I don't know, I I, I so I was excited about the idea of like Terrified Two is supposed to be good and it's about nothing. Yeah. Sign me up. Sign yeah. me up. And then I opened up like my AMC app and I saw how long it was. And yeah. truly out loud to no one went absolutely not. Yeah. Absolutely you can't, the, not. Life is too short for these sorts of things. You had a hard enough time convincing me, and I loved the movie, but I had a hard enough time convincing myself, like, Mike, you need to get up and spend nearly three hours watching Kate Blanchett give her career best performance in yeah. a Todd Field yeah. movie. If I need to work hard to get there for that, fucking Dude, it's, I need it's as long as Black Panther 2 and Black Panther 2 is going to deal with the death of T'Challa introducing an underworld underwater world introducing Namor setting up an entire thing you should not be long as long as a movie well, we don't we don't know that. we don't know for a fact the terrifier 2 is not setting up the art the clown cinematic universe <laughs> i'm sorry we went off on a terrifying in the movie where oh no the the girl who thinks the final girl's going to beat art to death and then, oh wait, he pulls out a gun and shoots her. Go fuck mm. yourself. Your sla- your slasher should not be using a gun. Yeah. Fuck you. I'm just. Oh That's... my god. That wait, no, I'm sorry. I want to counter that, Tom. Imagine if every iconic slasher film, <laughs> the conclusion was just like, oh well, well, they have a gun the whole time. <laughs> like if it was just like if at the end of Nightmare on Elm Street one, Heather Langham's going. I don't believe in you. And Freddie's just like, all right, well, but I do have this Glock though. I'm like, that's the wrap up. <laughs> just shoots her in the head like Jimmy Hoffa. <laughs> oh my gosh. <laughs> I'm, I just, I'm, I haven't been this fucking mad about a movie in so long. And I, I'm, I'm actively mad that there are people in my life trying to get me to see Terrifier yeah. too. Cause I, cause I'm like, okay. You you guys don't understand. I'm this mad about wasting 84 minutes of my life <laughs> yeah. on a movie watching a soft skulled clown do shtick. So if it's, I it's... have to spend two and a half hours, and if I don't like it, I'm going to start burning down houses. <laughs> it's so. I mean, it's just. Oh my god! And it's so funny because can I tell you guys something? Can I let you know something? We've been on one <laughs> other podcast discussing Night- a Nightmare on Elm Street film. We were on yeah. podcast like it's 99's Patreon doing the Dream Child, mm-hmm. 
um, which is a much lesser film than this. Uh, <laughs> it is, but yes. <laughs> better than Terrifier. Which, to be clear, by the way, we now have to just cover on on different shows. We have to cover each Elm Street film. Oh but yeah. But when yeah. when a mutual friend of ours, Kenny Nybart, reveals to Tom that he really enjoys Elm Street Six. Tom was viscerally upset. <laughs> I was, it was. I was. It was. It was almost. Off. It was. It was nearly this level because of just the heresy. So. Can I ask, have you guys done your Elm Street 6 episode yet? Have you recorded it? We have recorded yeah. it, yes. Yeah. We recorded you guys, it last night. Where do you guys stand on Elm Street 6? I, I, if, um, if, you want to, if you don't want to spoil it, that's fine. I'll find out well, you know, no, no, a while no, from now I, on uh, the treadmill. But So obviously that's the last one, right? That's, yeah, that's so the one we just watched. Yeah, when we were recording it, I, I really, we watched it and couldn't record it right away, so we had to wait a couple days. And I just wanted to record it so badly so I could forget about it. Because <laughs> I I had to let it pass through my brain, and I've since forgotten about it. And what for a me, fucking trash I, movie. I I don't really. It, here's what I have discovered, and I and I've said this on previous episodes. I apologize, audience. But w- earlier this year, we covered Fast and Furious, mm-hmm. and everyone was like, "You guys are gonna love it." Once you like give in to uh, turn your brain off, turn your brain off, you'll enjoy it. Well, I found myself enjoying two of ten movies in that series, and the rest I did not like hardly at all. And so I was just like, man, I really don't like Fast and Furious so much. And then we're watching Nightmare on Elm Street, and we're watching all these movies, and you know they have varying degrees of quality, but I start going, I think this is my Fast and Furious. Because if the movie has one interesting kill mm-hmm. i like it yeah now t- tom six is not good but i God do like right it's not good i do <laughs> like the hearing aid kill so i right, for it's me fine. i was well, i was okay with watching it if that makes sense. listen it's got robert england in it yeah mm-hmm. it's our it's already like <laughs> a palm door winner compared to fucking terrifier <laughs> terrifier is a movie Terrifier is a movie that makes me embarrassed to be a horror fan. Like I like, and, and it's not even like you know. Mike watches horror. You guys watch horror. Like you know, you, yeah. we're into horror. No, I've got horror movie tattoos. I look like one of the guys that's like <laughs> outside of a heavy metal bar, who who asks you who was the original killer in Friday the Thirteenth, and if you don't answer it correctly, you're not allowed into the bar. <laughs> I. I fucking viscerally cannot stand that fucking movie. I'm sorry. Let's go back to New Nightmare. I've got it out of my system. Well, and this is why, folks, I would encourage you to follow Tom on Letterboxd because it is a heck of a fun time, and I love seeing <laughs> everything that you post on there because when I saw your Terrifier last, I think it was last week, I was just like, "This." I haven't seen the movies. I don't really know about them except for you know, what we've just discussed, and I was surprised that that was your what you came to and and hearing your full take wow i'm i'm glad to, we to, were recording to, sem- <laughs> to try to bring it back into elm street it's a movie you know terrifier is a movie about nothing literally has nothing to say and mike's like oh i want to see a movie where there's nothing on its mind and it's just mindless violence i don't necessarily agree with that there's a lot of movies that i think are dumb violent movies that are at least attempting to be about something yeah but 
what I like about a lot of horror movies is you can get a movie like Elm Street, any of the Elm Streets, but especially New Nightmare, which is about so much fucking stuff, which puts it away a against the A24 shit we've been getting, you know, like The Lodge or fucking <laughs> Midsummer. Hey, what if I had a bad boyfriend? Cool. Great. Um, <laughs> Since it's an Ari Aster movie. Um, if you have to get up and go to the bathroom at any point, do it because you won't miss anything. The last 10 minutes will tell you everything he's, you just he's, watched. He's it not he's not wrong. Everything. He's really not wrong. It's gonna what if, it's like it's 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 mid, you know mid, midsummer asked the question, what if hostile was boring? <laughs> um it's no, it's I, the same move. No, but but yeah. but to, to kind of semi get back into it is that I think the best horror movies are even if they don't nail all of their ideas perfectly or whatever so many of them could be about a lot of the best ones are about a lot of things mm -hmm. this movie sure. is about a lot of things most of carpenter's movies are about a lot of things even yeah. if they're not explaining them to you there's so much shit in those movies you know we can you know nightmare night of the living dead we can say it's about vietnam but romero's working through a lot more stuff than just vietnam in that movie so much horror nowadays, which is I'm glad that the slasher movie is reviving because it's bringing this thing back of just throw ideas at the wall, but make sure you're entertaining your audience. Yeah, because they will enjoy the entertainment more and then well, being able to leave the theater and discuss the ideas, even if they're not perfect. They're still talking about but I, it. I think that that comes out of, you know, one of the things with horror that that should be, you know, I think one of the problems with horror today in a lot of senses is people are starting from an idea or they're starting oh, yeah. from yeah. a theme. Yeah. And I think that like, cause my, um, my partner and I this year on Halloween decided we were going to uh, do a marathon of just women directed horror films Yeah, uh, to kind of see that. And, and um, you know, we started with American psycho and one of the things that's so fascinating about American psycho um, with Mary Heron directing that, is that obviously she's working off of a Brett Easton Ellis novel, right? right? And Brett Easton Ellis has a very particular point of view. And a she is bound one. to that story. <laughs> oh, yeah, inherently a bad one. But, you know, <laughs> she's bound to that story. But what I think is so great about that and her having to work with that is that rather than her having to start from an idea uh, or start from a theme, she's, you know, she's taking that material and elevates it so well because instead she's presented with scary ideas and upsetting images and then interrogating why does this scare me and i yeah. think that, like tom mentioned romero with night of the living dead he didn't set out to make a movie about vietnam or a movie about racism or a movie about red scare or anything like that he came up with scary ideas mm -hmm. and then went why does this scare me and i think that you know, a movie that I, I think some people like I didn't love was The Night House came out recently. And I think my struggle with something like The Night House is and The Babadook, too, which I respect. But I think, you know, The Babadook maybe broke horror for a decade because it was so explicitly about a particular right. theme yeah. that you as the audience don't get the opportunity to watch it and go like my partner. and I We watched American Psycho. And when that movie ended, she and I both had different reads on that movie. Yeah. And yeah. Watched um, Julie de Cornau's Titan, which is um, probably a, it's a, it's a pretty impenetrable movie on first viewing. 
um, because there's so much going on and there's absolutely like, it's not like Julie de Corneau sits down and ends the movie and goes, this is about gender. Yeah. Like it doesn't happen. I still can't fully tell you why she gets impregnated by a car. It rules. And it's, it's because popular. she fucked the car. Come no, on. I know Do you that. not know I about know. the birds I, and the I, bees? No, Tom, I took, I took health class. I remember that we covered that. <laughs> um, but, but you know what I'm saying? Like, I think that, and maybe to a degree, and I'm not trying to drag New Nightmare. I like New Nightmare. But the reason why it's not my number one, uh, the reason why I mean, New Nightmare is my number three behind Dream Warriors and then the original is number one, is because okay. the original Nightmare on Elm Street, you know, uh, Craven talked about how it came from, well, he saw a guy outside his window and it creeped him out. Right, and right. he had he heard about sleep paralysis and this and that. And then kind of interrogated like, well, these things are scary to me. Why? rather than necessarily starting from a place of like, these are ideas I want to explore. And I think that modern horror, if it has a problem is everybody seems to be starting from these are ideas I want to explore. Whereas I don't know, I prefer, like I said, I prefer Mary Harron with American psycho kind of going, okay, these are the images I'm given. This is the story I'm given. What's yeah. going on under the surface here. Well do, you know. Remember when that Black Christmas remake came out a few years ago yeah. and people tried to cancel Joe Bob because he said it sucked, you know, back in the day, people would, you know, horror move horror directors would work from a story and then the themes would follow. They weren't yeah. starting from the theme. They were they they cared more about entertaining their audience because the themes will will come any good writing. The yep. themes will come. And he's like, I knew Bob Clark. He was not making a movie about misogyny and the way women are treated on college campuses and all this stuff. That just hap that just came out of the story he was telling, the story that worked its way into his brain. And where the reality people... it was rooted in. Yeah. And yeah. in 2018 or 19, whatever the fuck that fucking piece of shit movie came out. It it all all that movie was trying to do was preach to the choir. It was not worried about entertaining the audience. It's in it's inept as a slasher movie. It's it's just inept completely. It's insane how inept it is because its only goal is to be a Twitter thread, but well, filmed like, I, you for know, ninety you minutes. Guys, sure. You guys mentioned Barbarian earlier, mm -hmm. right? right yeah. Jordan, now you guys you guys have seen Barbarian. I yeah. Think. yes, yeah. yeah. One of the advantages that that movie has and why I think it has clicked so well is the fact that it does not go out of it. It is a, yes, it is a movie that is inherently about, amongst many other things, it is inherently about how society treats women and how women yeah. are treated differently. But it, it never tries to reach, it never tries to speak to me yeah. and go, you need to understand that X, Y, Z. Instead, it understands yeah. that like, yes, because I'm speaking to lived experiences, there are different people in this audience who are going to connect to it in different ways, you know, rather than necessarily make sure that every single person in the crowd leaves with the exact same mm -hmm. idea, because not everybody is scared by the same thing. Not everybody's affected by the same thing. You know, again, like I said, we, you know, we, she and I watched American Psycho had very different reads on it because obviously I have known guys like that in my life. And as she said, I've dated guys like that and Jesus Christ. And, you know, that's a different perspective there and all that. And another movie that I think is 
very much about like, oh my God, the nightmares we swept under the rugs in the eighties. Right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, what is yeah. it? that like that movie straight up? And not to bring it back to that, but that movie American Psycho straight up ends with Iran Contra. That's literally yeah. the end of the movie. No, is, that's right. You know, yeah. Which thrilled my partner because she loves nothing more than when I get an opportunity to yell about Iran Contra, <laughs> a thing she was not alive for, and also did not have any relatives here when that happened, so has no frame of reference for. She loves it. <laughs> loves hearing about Fawn Hall. It's her favorite thing. Um, <laughs> well, no, I mean with with Barbarian, I mean the 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 thing that I I think the thing I think about the most that I loved about it is I walked out of the theater and I was just like, that was so fun. Like I was entertained and, and I, there is an element to movies, especially when you're in a specific genre where, you know, I would like to be entertained. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I, Hey, Tars right up there at the top of my list of this year. I love it. I do think it is entertaining. That's a different type of movie, Yeah, but but with horror, you know, you you do need to think about your audience because horror is literally about a visceral experience and you're supposed to create an actual reaction from someone. So if you're not like taking stock of that or you're too worried about themes, then it's probably not the genre for you. And there can be depth to it like um if folks check it out, we did uh, this past season our podcast we talked about Meshes of the Afternoon, the Maya Darren film. Um which is a movie I adore, um, and and Tom I think really uh, came to to enjoy as well. But in our episode, we talked a lot comparing it to Unshan Andalou, which is the Salvador Dali film. Um, well, Salvador Dali, Salvador Dali and Louis Buell. And one of the contrasts we kind of raised is Dali with Unshan Andalou is just being provocative, right? Um, our guest, uh, Doctor Sabina Stent, was very good about pointing out like the stuff that's happening in Unshan Andalou. Um, is just like you watch a razor blade cut open an eye. Why? Because, well, it's about assaulting the eyes. Well, a guy's got ants in his hands. Why? It's a masturbation joke, whatever. You go to what Maya Darren um, is doing in Meshes of the Afternoon, one of these formative surrealist films, and it's very abstract. And it is it is a horror film in, in a lot of senses. There's some disturbing imagery. It's something Tom brought up a lot in that and the influence that Maya Darren has on a Wes Craven or a John Carpenter. But you can watch Meshes of the Afternoon and come away with different reads each time yeah. because it's trying to evoke something out of the audience. And I think that the best horror is something that is evocative rather than necessarily illustrative, mm -hmm. if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. you know. Yeah. And I think so that that's when Craven's at his best, that's what he's doing. So basically you're saying the difference between Nishandalu and Message of the Afternoon is the difference between a terrifier and a new nightmare. Um <laughs> I mean I mean I, I guess it's just like I said, it's it's just Well, I think it's about the didactism. Yeah. So I think the long and short of it is too uh, too many horror movies these days are all are too didactic and aren't letting the audience come to the messages themselves. And uh I think the movies that are working the best are the ones that are just letting the th the movie be, and whether they're appreciated upon their time at the moment, like a barbarian, or they're pissing people off so hard that they're <laughs> running their heads into walls, like Halloween ends. Mm -hmm. Let's go. <laughs> when when but like when Halloween ends is doing everything we say we want these movies to do, but sometimes 
that pisses people off because when you're tw- 13 movies into a franchise, almost kind of like the seventh movie in this franchise, once you start doing shit that's different, you're starting to piss people off. Yeah. Even yeah. if you even if you're good. Um so like I said, I wish I could have seen this movie in '94 with, you know, the rabid fucking neck beards who were like, "Yeah, Freddy's gonna kill some fucking kids again, man." Yeah, and it would be like, and just watching them, just their their faces slowly just drop of like, "What? He's talking about fucking Hansel and Gretel? Like, what the fuck is this, man? Like, Freddy's, <laughs> Freddy's an ancient like Sumerian demon." Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm like, it yeah, is, motherfucker. It is worth noting though that. I'm sure there were there were plenty of people like that, but the movie was generally well reviewed yeah. when it came out. Um, yeah. You know, in the in the documentary, they point out that Pulp Fiction opened the same weekend, and they kind of say maybe that's why out of their eight million dollar budget, they only got eighteen well, it was, million it was, at the box. It was definitely office. well received at the time, but even even today, there is a segment of horror fandom that doesn't love this movie because it's not an Elm yeah. Street movie. Yeah. It doesn't follow the structure of an Elm Street movie. So oh, they get okay, their I fucking see. they get their tits in a twist and they can't, you know, break out of their O C D fandom and appreciate something for what it is. Something we're seeing with Halloween ends. I'm gonna keep harping on that shit because I'm on the right side of history, folks. I'm on the right yes, side of yes. history, and we're um, we're there with you. Yeah. I was uh, that movie was so fun to watch. It it took us a couple weeks to get around to it. But yeah, just, by that time, all I was seeing was people saying, uh, "This is not a Halloween movie. This is a Corey Cunningham movie." And we won't we won't give anything away. Yeah, to you, but Mike, let me just say, guys, guys, it's it. been it's been months. Twitter has given everything away. Well, I won't be um, the one though. But I I'll just say when it comes to Halloween ends, like there's the the horror movie Civil War happening right now. And I'm like one of the people settling California. I'm just way on the other side. Going, I'm sorry, what's going on over there? It's cool. Oh, that sounds interesting. I'm going to go watch Vita Vikran. You guys have fun. <laughs> I just loved sitting in the theater and and actually just feeling that feeling where I'm like, I am so on the level of this movie. and I and I, But I also know... That that there's a lot of people oh once that the, don't like once them. the once the pre once the pre credit sequence hit and then it cuts to the titles I was like oh people are gonna be so fucking mad at this <laughs> yeah. movie they're gonna be so and to and to and he's calling his shot too he yeah. opens it with the Halloween season of the witch font right so he's right. just like I know you fucking dickheads are gonna get mad about this I don't give a fuck right. I'm making my movie bitch uh let's talk about new, new nightmare because i feel like we, yes let's we have a lot we could talk about with new nightmare i mean let me um, just hit real quick because i like to hit the cinematography is mark Irwin, who did scanners and the fly and then the music is P, uh j peter robinson who did wayne's world todd mcfarland spawn and the bank job comes out october 14th 1994 eight million dollar budget makes 18 million now let's just dive into the movie, right? Cool. Because the cast, I realized, we've covered all these people. Largely, yeah. For the most part. Yeah. So, I mean, and we, we're already at an hour and a half, so I don't think we have to go <laughs> chronologically. <laughs> I think we can just hit the, the highlights and the for, themes, for, you know? Oh, I had a question for, for everyone. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, this is my first time seeing this one. This one is definitely the scariest one to me. Mm-hmm. I don't know how you guys feel in terms it of, is like, upsetting. actual scariness. Does it? Yeah. It does not. It does not scare me. This one, um, I like it and I respect it. it doesn't scare me. Uh, I think partly because it is doing the metatextual thing, so sure. I do kind of get pulled out of it a bit more. There is From, the original one scares me the most. Um, yeah, I, I think that there is something to 
the practical effects um, that will always scare me more. Like this one is doing some early CGI stuff, especially with like, you know, the, uh -huh. the glove coming up through the seat, which is very uh, jarring. Whereas when it comes to practical effects in horror, even when they're wrong, they're right. Yeah. Because oh, even yeah. If it doesn't look exactly how it's supposed to look. Like there's the same reason like claymation or stop motion animation is always unsettling because the movements aren't quite right. Um, with Nightmare on Elm Street 1, the scene when he's walking down the alleyway and his arms stretch still scares me to this day. It scared me when I was five years old. It scares me to this day. Um, Dream Warriors with the, you know, the, the puppeteering veins. Yeah. The, the practical effects hit me more. This one does not, I think in part because this has this by acknowledging so much of the artifice of horror filmmaking doesn't scare me as much the same way that like we obviously when we were here talking about scream um you know i i think because scream is so meta while i enjoy the movie and i enjoy the moves it makes i enjoy watching it uh it doesn't scare me so much as it feels like an agatha christie kind of murder mystery yeah yeah uh, and the only time that a scream movie has done something that scared me in a way was the i never said it was your closet thing in in scream 4 because that's the first time my brain kind of went like oh you could do that like that kind of breaks yeah, the yeah. rules <laughs> and i think that maybe new nightmare doesn't scare me in part because like it is so i don't know it 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 its metatextual style invites me to kind of sit back sure. and examine it in the same way that like, I, you know, to bring it back to eight and a half, like Guido on Salmi's relationships don't affect me because I'm like, that's not a real person. Yeah. <laughs> this isn't, none of this is real. So I, I can't get invested in it in a way. Whereas like, you know, and that's, I think one of the things with this movie that maybe I, I lose it a little bit is like, as it starts to, when it begins and we're looking at Heather Langenkamp and we're dealing with the earthquakes and the stalker calls and all that and the stuff that really happened in her life and all of that, I can maybe ride with the Lord. Once her husband dies and I'm sitting back and we're like, well, I know now, now we're just taking a departure where I kind of like, it becomes a little harder for me to invest because it, it doesn't, I don't know. I, I guess my thing is like that. That's why I don't get scared by this one as much because I think that it's, its abstractness kind of invites me to view it more as a text rather than sure. lose myself in its reality. Well, yeah. all right. For me, not to be like that guy, but, you know, me and my, I talk about this with Michael all the time. Horror movies don't scare me. I watch them for the entertainment value and almost academically, like, watching them to see how they affect other people. Uh, I think this would be more effective for us even though I know you said it was very scary for you, but um, Not I think it would scary. be more scary. The, the, just to, for people to know, I think most of these movies are just hilarious. And I'm like, I've <laughs> not been scared by them at any point. I just love watching Freddie kill people. And <laughs> he he's just a fun guy. I, I just no. think with this one, he, I, I think because of the meta stuff, it almost felt like anything goes. I've, yeah. I yeah. genuinely don't know so, what's happening. I, I think there would be an element Mike's, viewer this might change if and what if and when he becomes a parent i think it's a lot of parent stuff in this movie but there there, there yeah. was one scene that did actually kind of got under my skin a little bit and it's nothing to do with supernatural stuff it's when the doctor is is about to commit yeah. nancy uh yeah. nancy heather 
against her will, like, oh, well, we're going to put your kid in foster care and we're going to until we run all these tests on you and make sure you're OK. I'm like, oh, I don't I don't like that one bit For, like false imprisonment yeah, yeah. just fucks me up. I don't like that shit one bit. I don't like it at all. Um, And not in a scary sense, but in like uh, I found the reaction so perfect for the yeah. moment when Freddie burst through the closet and Heather just freaks the fuck out. <laughs> yeah. Like that's that's I, I don't know what that was maybe Heather's best acting moment because that felt so real. If you're just like, I don't know if Freddie's actually coming into the real world, and then that motherfucker just pops out of the closet, she just freaks the yeah. fuck out. <laughs> that's fuck that's really fucking good. That's that's a yeah. good bit. I love yeah. I love that bit. Well, and so can we talk about Something that really struck me was we've seen Robert England as Freddy Krueger for six movies now. Yeah. And then this movie posits that that within the, you know, however you want to stack up the the world that these movies exist in, that Robert England is plays Freddy Krueger, and that's what you saw. And then there is a real evil entity, and that is what is happening. This Freddy Krueger is coming to power. And I, I don't know how he does it, but the performance is different enough that I, I wasn't convinced that it was Robert England as the other Freddy in, in, a, in Eng- all the right ways. England is such an underappreciated guy. I definitely think he didn't do himself any favors with the career choices he made, constantly making this shitty horror movies, just banking on his name. But he's got a real Vincent Price thing going on where he's so much better than you think he is because he can be so big and hammy, but then he can... Like in this movie, he can, like you see him being Freddy in that, um, the talk show host, the talk show thing where he comes out as classic Freddy and he's doing the classic Freddy shtick and you're like, oh, that's Freddy. And then he's Robert England talking to Heather. Oh, I'm sorry if you need anything, you know, blah, blah. And then when he's the fucking, the demon and you're just like, motherfucker, this guy is, he really is like, he, he's, he, he, he. Everybody says he made Freddy Krueger. Casting mm-hmm. Robert England made Freddy Krueger. He gives him that 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 voice, that style, that like gunslinger walk where the glove yeah. hand is is walking is a lower than the other hand. He's so fucking good. It's it's uh I love that man so much. He's mm-hmm. he's such a ham, but I love him so much. Mm-hmm. Well, and like for me the 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 scene that that was like I guess the scariest was you know when he's dragging the nurse around and you're kind of reminded of the original nightmare where you know the room is rotating and stuff and and again the way he's playing it as this freddy is not like oh now we're on the ceiling huh gal he's he's like mean he's, he's mean like in this movie mean and aggressive yeah and it, and it looks and there's also something weird about how the way the way it's filmed just feels like they haven't filmed it like that because they're kind of Blurring the reality, like like when Nancy was thrown around on the ceiling, we didn't see Freddie. Nancy, or oh oh yeah, her, her, uh, her Tina, yeah, Tina. We we didn't see Freddie, but this time we're seeing him, and it's flashing back and forth, and he's just ripping her apart. And I'm like, baby, this is an awesome movie, and I like can't <laughs> believe this. It's so good. <laughs> yeah, but, I mean, yeah. you know, Wes knew how to really just fucking just dig into into an idea and you know sometimes he can get lost in the weeds a bit but when he hits he hits like he hits like nobody else and um i guess 
we should probably get into the our favorite bit of me and Mike's favorite bit of the movie just because we're kind of just jumping around a bit. But when it starts ramping up and she runs back, she you know the oh the highway scene fucking rules also. That, oh yeah, that it does. fucking great. Yeah, uh, and, and then the she, effects then she, hold up decently. I mean, they actually they 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 do actually. It's actually pretty impressive how how good it is. Yeah, but then they then she gets to the house. And John Saxon's there. Yeah, and at a yeah. certain point, you realize he's calling her Nancy. Yeah. Yeah. And then she go- and then they're outside and she goes, why do you keep calling me Nancy, John? Why do you keep calling me John, Nancy? And he he walks off camera and then it cuts back to him and he's in full Lieutenant mm-hmm. Thompson outfit. And he's just like, yeah. oh, you you glorious son of a bitch, Wes. Oh, I, <laughs> this is the fucking coolest shit in the world. Oh my god! Just when the movie finally just the re- when the reality finally breaks, it's just oh, it's a thing of beauty. It is. Oh, yeah. I yeah. mean, it's my it's my favorite part of the film. I think in part because you know we addressed like when we said, hey, maybe maybe the movie's a little too long, isn't that? I think part of that is just the fact that the movie does introduce such an interesting premise and a metatextual premise. And the middle part maybe is kind of just sitting in that premise and that level. Mm-hmm. And then when it does that John Saxon turn, it is taking it to the the absolute breaking point of yeah. this premise in a way that a lesser movie would have you kind of at the end going, oh, you know, I wish they had done blank. Yeah. Right. This does it. And this, it does it in a way that isn't, oh, she walks through a door and now she's Nancy. And it doesn't do anything trite like that. We never see when Alice falls down the rabbit hole. It just happened at some point. Right. And I think that's what makes that scene so effective. It's just the way that it, it just... When he gets in the car and drives off and she looks at the house and it's the Elm Street house. And finally, the classic Elm Street do, 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 do starts playing. It's just like, oh, baby, give it to me. (laughs) And then just the descent into hell. It's just like, okay, Wes, you fucking sick bastard. I love it so much. (laughs) And yeah, it's just, it's just so fucking cool, man. And I I love those bits where like, like Wes's big scene where you realize he's writing this, the script we've been watching and you cut to the computer and you see the dialogue we've just seen and we're listening to. And it's like, and then it says fade to black, and then it fades to black. You're just oh. like, oh, yeah, so good. And then they find the script at the end, and she's reading it, and it's what we just read. It's just the, it's just that perfect, just everything coming full circle thing that is just, <laughs> yeah. Well, and and I think that uh, this movie, it, I, you know, you get to compare it to Nightmare One because of the series, but, but it's the first time Wes is back. Well, no only time, um, fully. And I mean, for me, I, I, you know, I haven't seen all of his movies, but I can see just like the progression of the director in these two, where it's just like, at least I just see that a lot of those, those rougher edges as far as the acting. And then even just the limitations of the time, like I can imagine the scene where, uh, Heather goes down 
the bed and and she, it's like a slide you know what i'm talking yeah. about yeah. Yeah, yeah 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 and 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 i can see what that would have looked like in the 80s and and it looks silly to me but when i see it now it's like that is kind of an intense crazy moment when she's flying down there just clutching a knife and she's just screaming at the top of her lungs mm-hmm. and it like all of those i felt like the tension of the 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 scariness and horror of it at least for me just felt like okay he's done this enough times that now he's like got it down mm-hmm. i don't know if you guys agree with that but that's just like how oh, it no, felt I, to me yeah he's he's hitting a a, a new stride as a filmmaker in, in this movie he, he from Elm Street to this point, he's definitely growing because, uh, you know, Serpent in the Rainbow is a much more technically impressive movie. Uh, People Under the Stairs is. As goofy as it is, Shocker is a very technically impressive movie that he, like, he needed to... He's a guy who needed to keep making movies to, to strengthen that muscle of his. And like I said, this is the warm-up. So he's got this out of his system so he can go into Scream and really deliver the best directing he's ever done. Yeah. Like, in a complete package, because there are sequences in his other movies that are some of the best things he's done isolated, but from a complete package, like Scream, a lot of Scream 2, and a a lot of Scream 4 is some of the best just complete package directing he's he's ever done because he had to grow into this. Mm-hmm. And like I said, he he needed a, a script that was as ambitious as he was, but was mm, a little a, a little better conceived mm-hmm. uh than his uh ambition would uh on his own would have allowed it to be. Yeah. Well the um another another crazy thing, you know, again we keep we keep using the word reckoning, but coming back to that and 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 I think this applies to our greater conversation of horror. You you in, you being able to view all these different things about the movies, um, a good one anyway, is just the the very simple idea that this movie's playing on, where actors, directors, writers, when they make something iconic, that thing follows them for their whole life. So Heather Langenkamp is always Nancy. Uh, Robert England is always Freddy Krueger. And this movie is literally, they are literally haunted by their old movie. And just that idea alone, I'm like, yeah, 10 out of 10. <laughs> like, I just love which, everything that's happening. Which which is something I was saying before, which kind of adds this hopeful quality to it that you wouldn't expect is in the, the West scene, he's talking about how you know, this entity gets caught in stories. And the more you tell the story, the more watered down it gets. And yeah, whatever. And when you stop telling that story, the monster can can break out again and you need to recapture mm-hmm. it again. And yeah. I think it's this interesting thing that Wes is reckoning with, which is I know the sequels weren't good. I know they weakened my creation, but they've also kept it going they've they've helped keep whatever i was doing in that first movie alive and helped keep that evil that i was letting out into the world trapped so this idea of him kind of saying 
it's okay to keep making these movies. It's actually good to keep doing this because it's doing something good for the world. It's giving mm-hmm. people an outlet. It's giving people something to talk about, to discuss these things that we are not supposed to talk about. How divorce affects families, how, you know, in the fucking four and five or whatever that like, you know, abortion rights or fucking whatever. Yeah. Even too, as much as a fucking nincompoop parade that movie was talking about being in the closet and all that stuff i i i think it's really kind of big of west to acknowledge that while i may not love those movies i think it's good that they exist sure and that this is a thing that we're all doing which is trying to tell these stories to keep this thing going that we do and if we stop doing it it's it's not you know things aren't gonna go great we need this outlet there's a reason why we're not watching people in 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 the roman coliseum fighting lions anymore and beheading each other we have this outlet sure we have the nfl and Tua tyler v almost had his brains leak out a few weeks ago but that's fine they're getting paid um i think to your point tom there's also you know what i think craven is trying to say when he's talking about well this ancient evil we capture with stories um, you know, stories were how we communicated lessons. They've they've always been how we communicate lessons, and scary stories, uh, you know, are as old as time, right? You know, I was just yeah. um, I was just last night watching Tree of Wooden Clogs, the the Italian film that depicts you know farmers in the eighteenth nineteenth century, something like that, and even back then they're gathered around telling scary ghost stories to each other. Part of that is that, you know, and maybe it's the appeal of horror movies or scary stories is it allows us to process it in a way that feels a bit safer. But part of it is the importance of having to confront things that don't make us feel good. And I think that, you know, we were talking about Tar before and, and the little, you know, the monologue that Lydia Tar mm-hmm. goes off on in that classroom yeah. that um, I, I uh, most of us watch and go, I think I'm not supposed to be supporting this, but I think I support it. Uh, it's a very complicated thing, but, but I do right. think part of that is I was talking about it with someone recently and I do feel like part of the issue that we're running into now socially and how we talk about things, it's not as simple as, you know, there are people who like to go, oh, kids today, they're too, se- uh, too sensitive. That's overreductive. Mm-hmm. But I do think that one of the things that we saw in the last 10 years and we're reckoning with now when we talk about kind of the, the tumblerization of psychology or anything like that is that it does feel like people, you know, online as they started talking more moved from actual therapeutic ideas of how do I help myself better cope with bad feelings and, and things that make me feel uncomfortable. And it shifted to more this idea of like, how do I make sure I never feel uncomfortable and nothing ever makes me feel bad or makes me feel uncomfortable yeah. or sad or yeah. anything like that? And horror and disturbing things like that exist so that we have a way to confront those emotions and learn to process them better and learn to cope with those bad feelings better. And I think that when society is in those movements where they want to be very, I'm not trying to be reductive and say like, Oh, it's about censorship. You know, I think that that's obviously a, you know, a crass talking point, but, but I do think when we 
societally try to limit what people can experience or feel for mm -hmm. their own good, all we end up doing is disarming people from when reality presents us with bad things. I mean, the 90s in general, um, you know, we were talking about it in a way, but like, you know, even though there was a lot of slasher movies and horror movies in the 80s, I do tend to think of like the Reagan 80s as just that song, Everything is Awesome from the Lego movie just played for eight straight years. Mm -hmm. right? Everybody's just pretending everything's good. And the 90s, you know, I mean, like we talked about like, you know, the first Bush administration, you know, George H.W., and how all of these policies just start falling apart and bad shit starts happening and no one knows how to deal with it because we haven't talked about this ever. And the 90s is just chock full of things that, you know, we we suddenly have to deal with with Waco and the, you know, the the oh, my God, why am I forgetting their names? The uh, the Menendez boys and like all of these just awful things all the way up to, you know, we, before we started recording, I was talking about Gus Van Zandt's elephant. And how for like six years after Columbine happens, like so many artists are like, I guess I have to try and figure out what that was about um, yeah. and mostly doing it terribly. But I do think that part of that is like as when you remove people's ability to confront bad feelings or to confront evil or to process evil, it doesn't take evil out of the world. Yeah, it just takes away our ability to deal with it. There's something about how much the film likes to repeat to Heather Lankham, like, you don't let him watch those movies, do you? You don't let him watch yeah. those scary movies, do you? And then ultimately it resolves with Heather sitting with her son and reading him the story mm -hmm. because the entire thing is, yeah, you know, five-year-old kids should not be watching something as bloody as Nightmare on Elm Street or any of these things. But it is the idea of, like, if it is delivered right and if the story is communicated well and if it is done with you know, parental oversight and, and community support. This is how we process bad things. This is how we process the evil so it does not surprise us quite as much or it doesn't have quite as much of a traumatic impact on us as, as it would if we lived in sort of blissful ignorance of the bad things. Mm -hmm. Yeah. You know, I and mean, I, yeah. I mean, you know, she beats Freddie in the end because she accepts that she made this movie 10 years ago and that she has to embrace her inner Nancy. You know, she can't ignore the movie. She can't mm -hmm. ignore the story. She has to acknowledge that I've dealt with this before in an yeah. artistic way. So I'm going to use this in a real way. All very much like what Mike's saying. I think, again, a lot of ideas in this movie, which makes it, what almost two hours we've been talking about it yeah give yeah. or take a few terrifier rants um <laughs> yeah we're there, we're you know, at the length of the movie right now <laughs> you know there's there's a lot to talk about in terms of the movie itself in terms of its place in history you know real life history and the history of cinema and all of that it's a movie that's reach is not as its reach is greater than its grasp. And that's good. It's good to have a movie that I would, I'm not going to say <laughs> yeah. it's an ambitious, I'm not going to say this is an ambitious failure. I'm going to say it's very ambitious. So it's not going to hit everything out of the park, but when it does, it hits, it hits it like a fucking rocket, like a cannonball out of a cannon. Um, 
And it's a, you know, I'm glad we're getting, you know, the A24 elevated horror. We're going to tell you what this, we have one idea and that's all we're going to chase thing. Seems to be going by the wayside pretty much. I'm glad that's going by the fucking wayside because we need more movies that just, one, are just basically just trying to entertain us. You need to start from a place of entertainment. And that's what Wes did for as academic as he is and as academic as this movie is. He wants to entertain you. This is a blockbuster popcorn fucking as high minded as it is. It's entertaining. I, I I feel like if you had a crowd that was into this movie that knew what they were getting into when Nancy f- rides that shoot down into hell. Oh, my God. The people would have been going nuts. Yeah. When she fucking finally shoves Freddy into the furnace like Hansel and Gretel. Wes was calling his shot. Um, People would have went nuts. And then she's reading the script. That's that's pure popcorn cinema. Just at its finest. But also, ideas came out of that. A lot of ideas. Maybe not all of them work. Maybe some of them do. Who fucking knows? But they're there. Please, for the love of God, just entertain me, and I will figure out what ideas you're trying to uh, shove down my throat after the movie. Because we're still talking about this fucking movie 20... Oh oh my God, almost 30 years later. (laughs) Um, And we're... Not talking about the lodge, where we're not talk. You know, we're not talking about. I don't even about... Rem- recall the lodge. The Is lodge. Don't, lodge. Don't. What did we watch with my it parents? Was, it was time? a. It was a. Oh, that was the rental release. that we watched <laughs> with with no, no, Riley yeah. Keough. And it's like, hey, what if Riley Keough was stuck in a house with a, with a bunch of kids, and that's it. And then it has a horrible twist and it's just really fucking just so boring and bad and don't don't. But those kinds of movies, you know, uh, not as bad, but like a hereditary or a midsummer. But, you know, that whole thing thankfully seems to be coming to an end because we're not talking about The Lodge. We're not talking about St. Maud, you know, and and for movies that don't take swings, even we're not talking. Movie came out three weeks ago. Who's talking about Pray for the Devil? Nobody's yeah. talking about Pray yeah. for the Devil, bro. People are still pissed off about Halloween ends. We're yeah. going to be talking about that fucking movie for years. Just like we're still talking about Rob Zombie's Halloween 2. Just like we're talking about this. Just like we're talking about Jason um, Jason Lives. Takes Manhattan. Wait, with, oh, yeah, we're talking about Jason Takes Manhattan. We're talking about Jason <laughs> Goes to Hell. What Jason if Jason X. was a deadite? To- yeah. What if Jason went Take- to space? What if Jason let the body hey, hit the floor? Listen, listen. <laughs> what if Jason went to space? What if Jason went to space? You know what would happen? Tommy would have a good time. That's what would happen. <laughs> a movie you guys also brought up on our Scream Four episode. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, well, we can't talk about Friday the Thirteenth anymore. Our listeners get mad at us. Oh, Fuck okay. Em. We did it. We did it. We did it. We thought it'd be funny if on April Fool's Day we released an episode. Where we pretended that uh, Jason Takes Manhattan was in the National Film Registry, and it was not well received. Oh no! <laughs> oh, come on, that's a good bit. It was not. It was not. It was not. Well oh, received. so it's it's a good bit. I I love it. I want to do more of shit. Like I think. That. I think. I think that's how we got our one one star review on iTunes. Uh, oh no! One star yeah. for being a good bit. Come on. We got. We we <laughs> have like one one star. No, what bothers me more is we have one four star. And they didn't write a review. They just gave us four out of five. And I just want to be like, what? What was it? 
What yeah. can we do? I seem like we were so close to getting you there. Tell me. Tell me what I got to do. I'll fix it. I'll. What What do you need? But no, that, no idea. That, that one star for Jason Goes to Hell was Victor Miller. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's a good reminder for everyone to to rate and review the, our podcast, of course. There you go. And theirs. Um, it helps people find the show. Yeah. Uh, I mean, I feel like we've covered it for, for my estimation. I don't know. What do you think, Jordan? Well, yeah. Well, how about the funny bit that Johnny Depp is not in this movie because Wes Craven was too nervous to ask him because he was popular at the, you know, he's on Jump Street and he was, you know, his his star was rising and Wes was like, oh, he wouldn't want to do it. You know, it, <laughs> it would just be for like, it would just be for like a scene at the funeral. He he wouldn't want to do it. And then like six months after the movie came out, they ran into each other and Johnny was like, hey, I love New Nightmare. Why didn't you ask me to be in it? Everyone else was. <laughs> And That's he's amazing. like, I would have done it. And Wes was like, I felt him. I didn't think you'd do it. And then, which clearly means Wes didn't see Elm Street 6 because Johnny yeah, cameoed in, it, in yeah, that yeah. one. Oh, man. Yeah. That's crazy. Well, it, so I guess here's my final question for everyone. And then you can plug away. The franchise has been dead for since 2010. 12 years, which is far Insane. too long. Insane. Who... Do you think if if you could just pick the director to come out with a new Nightmare on Elm Street movie, who would you pick? Flanagan. Flanagan, okay. Julie de Cornell. The director of Raw and Titan. That is the only person who makes movies okay. now that I go to see and I go, that fucked me up. <laughs> and I I want so badly because she understands visuals she uh -huh. understands upsetting imagery is raw I, the cannibalism movie that i'm too scared correct. to watch yep yeah yep <laughs> and titan is on hulu so check it out cool. uh door winner i think that i guess my thing with elm street is i think it's less about a director and i think it's much more about the story you're telling because i think that Elm Street is the movie that lives and dies by its by its story insofar as not just plot, but like kill set pieces and all of that. And I think you have to figure out what's the new in for this character. Yeah. More so than like if we're talking, oh, who should reboot Friday the 13th or Halloween or whatever? Like, yeah, then we're talking a much more director focused thing. I think it's more just a case of how do I make this character, this Freddy Krueger thing, scary again? How do I connect it to the audience? Well, that's why I, th I, 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 I do think it's director heavy though, because it needs to be a director that's also writing the movie, which is because the best movies in this series are the ones where the directors wrote the movies. Wes wrote one and seven. Uh, Chuck Russell wrote Dream Warriors and directed it. You know, the, the other yeah. ones are guys directed other scripts. I think you need a director who is a visual maestro. This is the most visual centric horror franchise. You need to be yeah. able to handle tone and the dream stuff in equal measure while being able to handle actors and not lose sight of the story you're telling. And you need to be someone who could weave themes into this populist blockbuster horror franchise thing. So I think Flanagan would be great because a lot of his work has this very dreamlike nightmarish imagery to it. And he's great at weaving these themes, themes that are very fitting 
to the Elm Street series about broken sure. families and the way the past can haunt us and everything. I think he would be great. Also, wild card. Let Peter Jackson make the Elm Street movie he was going to make. Yes, yes, please. That idea is freaking that, good. And it only it works even better now because Freddy is dead. Yeah. We have it's been 12 years. People don't think about Freddy and <sighs> well, they think about Freddy, but that metatextual thing of Freddy's been gone for so long we think of him as a joke because one he became a fucking stand-up comedian and also the remake pissed everybody off. So let's get Peter Jackson. Bring him back down to earth. He needs his drag me to hell. He needs oh to make a gosh. cheap a cheap that would horror be movie so awesome. That is all about how Freddy is dead, but we're bringing him back, baby. Now, okay, how's this for a question? This is a tough one, but who do you think would be a good Freddy in a recasting oh. situation? I would really have to think about that. That's, I mean, th- th- that's that's one of the things that I I do feel like would be the issue going forward with the series. It's 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 maybe the biggest issue because like, this is Michael Myers, the most Jason, personality. The Just most personality-driven franchise. Yeah, you need you need someone to get that yeah. personality. I have I have two choices. Okay. One guy might be too old at this point, but I think he'd be great. And the other one I think is like right in the wheelhouse. The older one, Kevin Bacon. Oh, interesting. Kevin Bacon. I don't see it, but okay. I think he brings a certain level of. Well, he wouldn't have done that to those kids. And then you realize it and he breaks out that fucking like stir of echoes, mystic river, like, you know, the following, okay. like. So the black Ethan phone? Hawk would be. Yeah. Um, yeah, my, I my mean, I'm always a fan of watching Ethan Hawke, so. My wild card choice, though, not wild card, my younger ish, Walton Goggins. Ooh, that's that's what I'm that's going the with. one. That's a good one. I am a hundred percent on board with that. Yeah, yeah. I'm only on board with that. I'm only on board with that if he plays Freddy Krueger exactly like Uncle Baby, like Billy. Uncle Baby Billy. Yes, Uncle yes, Bill. yes. Bill. <laughs> with the big teeth and everything. <laughs> exactly. He's chasing some teen down in a dream, screaming, "Mama, go run, not you. I'm on running around the house with taking them out." Well, I. That's great. I, I don't I, I don't think I'd choose him for directing, but I do want to know after Halloween, I just want to know anything that David Gordon Green would touch that already has an established franchise because he's just We're doing see the, how the that most exorcist interesting goes. Stuff. I know. Yeah. I know. And an exorcist Ooh, trilogy. Boy. Did he announce he, it as a trilogy? Oh, Universal bought the rights for a trilogy for three hundred million dollars. <laughs> So he is guaranteed to be making three Exorcist movies. The man pissed people off with a franchise that's simply, what if a man had a knife? He's now going to make a movie with (laughs) the devil. The rules will be out the fucking window. I I cannot cannot wait. I cannot wait for them as movies, and I cannot wait for the discourse. I want to see people fill their pants with anger. For the next six years, it's going to be glorious. And I, I genuinely hope it's the same trajectory where the first movie, everyone's like, I can't believe it. This is amazing. And then the second one, they're like, he just no. keeps pissing people off. And then the third one, they're like, no, 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 the ter- no. The, 
they're tearing the seats out of the movie theaters with each consecutive movie. And then, and then, yeah, that's when they announce he's going to New Line Cinema and he's doing a trilogy of of Freddy Krueger movies with Walt and Walton Goggins is in Righteous Gemstones. I mean, it's right there. Yeah, it's right there. He he would he, honestly he they're, would kill they've it. They've worked together, so yeah. Get a get Jody Hill in as a as one of the other. Just make it a Righteous Gemstones cast Elm Street movie. <laughs> Honestly, I think that's a good idea. <laughs> All right, well, why don't you guys tell people where they can find you and listen to more of this insanity that we all love, uh, of course. I'm going to I'm going to add one extra little element to this if that's okay. Oh, sure. Um which is that uh you mentioned that we uh unintentionally planted our flag for New Nightmare the last time we were on. Okay. Um we haven't planted any flags this episode. And also it would be rude of us to plant a flag, you know, a presumptive flag for like a major franchise. So I'm going to put this out to Tom and I, that I think in addition to us doing our plugs, I think each one of us should plant a flag for a film in a franchise, but with the caveat, a film in a franchise that you're unlikely to do anytime soon. So we're not taking any good ones away from anybody. I think we okay. should just okay. pick a movie that's like, you're probably never going to touch this franchise, but if you do, you better fucking have us on for this. Okay? I just want that out there. Tom, start thinking <laughs> okay. of your answer. Um, folks can uh, find our podcast, You're Missing Out. Uh, it's now under the longer title, You're Missing Out, a podcast about the National Film Registry so that people can find it easier because uh, SEO is a thing. Um, but... <laughs> We are going through each film inducted into the National Film Registry, uh, which is every year since 1989. The Library of Congress selects 25 films to be preserved uh, by the Library of Congress. Uh, so your tax dollars hard at work preserving uh, movies like Shaft, which is the best use of my tax dollars in any way possible. Um, we're going through <laughs> induction year by induction year, and we are talking about every single movie. It gives us an opportunity to talk about films that everybody has seen, like The Godfather or Star Wars and films that most people probably haven't seen, but should absolutely check out things like uh, Dodsworth or uh, Pare Lorenz's The River, one of my favorite episodes of last season. Um, we've done two seasons so far of the first two induction years. Season three is in kind of pre-production planning now, and we are hoping to get started on that soon. We do fun little bonuses sometimes. Uh, every year we do our live on-air reactions to the new class of inductees for the National Film Registry where we don't know what they are. Kyle reads into <laughs> us and we either get very excited or don't know what it is. Um, we talk about the Oscars every year. We do a lot of that. It's me, it's Tom, it's our producer, Kyle. It's, it's a lot of fun and we're hoping to get uh, these fine folks on the show this season. So hopefully we can get that together. Uh, oh, yeah. You can find that wherever you get podcasts. You can follow it on Twitter at YMO podcast. Um, there's a YouTube channel where you can find uh, all the movies that we talk about that are in the public domain and stream them there for free. Um, and if you want, you can follow me on Twitter at NKOAS. Lastly, of course, I'm going to plant my flag and say, um, if you guys do the Pink Panther franchise. Oh, wow. Okay. I want, I want Son of the Pink Panther, the Roberto Benini starring sequel from the 90s. Okay. Plant my flag. Well, the flag has want. been planted. Okay. Better not give it away. <laughs> when you, when I know you're in a rush to do not just the Pink Panther, but specifically the ones after Peter Sellers died. I know you guys are just <laughs> chomping at the hey, bit to do it. 
When we so, do a series, you know. we do it all. I mean, we're doing the Nightmare remake. I mean, well, yeah, that's like just one example that I can think of off the top of my head. But we do it all. We don't skip. I, pla- I planted my flag. Tom? <laughs> um, have you guys done the Halloween movies yet? We no. have not. No, no. Obscure franchise, Tom. Come on. I'm don't break the rules here, buddy. Don't break the rules. I, did, I didn't, I didn't agree a, to your rules, pick asshole. A, pick a Ghoulies movie. Pick a, you uh, know. Go, go right. to, I am Ghoulies planting go to my college. flag. I am planting my flag. Halloween ends. Yeah. No, excuse me. Halloween kills. Halloween kills. Oh, cool, cool, cool. Great. Okay. Awesome. Because also, I know I'm going to talk also, about all of them. Also, yeah. Ghoulies go to college. But Tom I know I'm talk about ends in that one, but I want to talk about kills because people are fucking assholes about Halloween kills. It's amazing. We're gonna talk about yeah. it. You let me know when you get to the Halloween movies, and boom, I'm there. Great. Yeah, great. I just Tom, plug your socials. That was yeah. that was the whole point of that segment. Oh my god, plug my socials. I don't know what is my fucking socials. I don't know. Follow me at the what the fuck is my Twitter? The Gunslinger 1990. I, I don't no, know. No, that's what your Instagram. It? All right, well, there's my Instagram. Um, Isn't it Ra- Bull something? Raging, oh, yeah, it's Bull, Raging 1990, Bull 1990. Jesus yeah. what, what's their box name? Because you shouted that out, Micah. Oh, yeah. yeah. I th- what is it? I think it's uh, Raging Raging Bull, I think. Uh, BK genre guy. Okay. That's I think you, if, you search, if you search Raging their Bull names, 99 is also, it. yeah. Because I follow I Mike know. on there as well, who also has some great great hot takes well too. that's the fun thing is if you follow my letterboxd you will always know what movie we're about to do on the podcast <laughs> right because right. all of my recent viewing is themed to that and if you follow tom you wouldn't know he has a podcast <laughs> right right because <laughs> it just will be unrelated and we'll have fun discussions where me him and kyle will get in a call at a meeting and go right so we're all agreed that by the time we come back we will have watched blank and you'll see kyle logs it and i log it and tom will just be like I think I'm going to watch Child's Play again. <laughs> I think I'm going to watch Enola Holmes too. And every every time, every time we kind of just have to go, he's not coming in with the, no, he didn't watch it. He's not doing it. It's fine. It's fine. We'll make it work. Well, thank you both for being on yeah, here. It so was a much. pleasure. Uh, for our listeners, I believe it's the month of December, which means on Patreon, we are talking about James Cameron's Avatar, getting ready for Avatar 2. And other than that, be here next week when we talk about good old Jason and good old Freddy getting together and having a powwow. Hell Thanks yeah. Thanks for listening. Great movie. <laughs> One, two spooky podcasts for you. Three, four, lots of blood and gore. Five, six, Freddy's goofy tricks. Seven, eight, another deadly fate. Nine, ten, never podcast again.